This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! This is That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. And my name is Kara. And every week, we break down an episode of Law & Order SVU. We talk about the true crime it was based on. And we interview somebody fascinating from the episode that you watched. Or maybe didn't watch. A lot of you guys are not watching. And speaking of, our producer, Annalise, beloved producer, has never watched an episode of the show. And today's episode is the first episode she's ever watched. And they were like, it's a little heavy for me, but I can totally see why people are into Olivia Benson. We were like, yeah, that's a very heavy episode to kick off. It's also like, I don't know. But also in the teen years, it's like, yeah. we would have liked to be in charge of the first one you yes, watched. I would have liked to have had some input. You know, But well, then you got, oh yeah, go ahead, Annalise. Oh no, I was just going to say, it was actually really nice because I, I told you guys before we started, like, oh, I, you were like, well, why this episode? And I started watching it because... I was worried that I was missing something and I wasn't. And it was great because it was just, it just confirmed what I already knew, which is you guys are very good at your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. I mean, we, we, we had, by the way, thank you to everybody who came out to see us uh, in Tempe, Arizona. We had a great show there, but we had a couple people who told us there, I never have seen the show. I never watched the show. I just like listening to you guys recap it. And 
I mean, I can't wrap my brain around that, but somebody also did message us recently that they were a day one listener who just watched their first episode. And, and I said, ooh, what episode? And they wrote, Hunting Ground. And I was like, that episode truly kept me awake for days. Like, I cannot believe that's the first one. And then people have asked me too, like, which one do you think I should start with? And I don't even really have a good... I Well, sometimes I'll say, oh, 911 is the one she won the Emmy for, but it's also very different than any other episode on the series. So don't start with that one. I can't think of one. What popped out to me as we were like, what would you suggest? I would say the Martin Short one. Pure. Because it is campy in its ways. His name is Sebastian Ballantyne, but it is (laughs) a horrific crime. It's fucked up. It's sad. Uh, The cold open is shocking, but then there are very funny elements because it's Martin Short and evil. So, uh, and there's twists and turns. So I think from now on, I might say pure is the one I would suggest yeah, to people. Yeah, pure is a good one. I mean, I think families is like, is like old school wackadoo SVU twists. Which one is that? Families. I, I, I had sex with my sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah call it that. Um, Sorry, I guess don't watch families because now I just told you a lot of what's happening and families. Well, we're also assuming they listen to the pod. Yeah, but I, if you're a person that doesn't listen and that was maybe going to be your first one, I think I just gave it away for you. Okay, so <laughs> today I was a menace in our neighborhood. I crossed in the middle of the street. Like, I was really, like, blocking traffic, trying to cross to get coffee at A Block, my favorite. I was FaceTiming with a friend on full volume. I don't really do uh, headphones. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, ordering coffee in public and a woman was smiling at me and I do think it's a listener and she did see me at my worst. Uh, truly, <laughs> truly FaceTiming in public with no headphones. That is a bad, it is a bad quality. I, I would never do it like a, at a nail salon, but yeah, I do it. I'm a bad person. Yeah, or I'm, like on the subway or... I wouldn't I mean, do you that. Can't, you can't really on the subway, it depends. But on the platform, I would. I would, t- I would have a FaceTime conversation on the platform, I would. On the platform. <laughs> I've done it at an airport. I'm just like ordering. It's just like, I need to be better with headphones, but it just, it stresses me. It just, it's not something I've mastered yet, unfortunately. Sadly. But. That's really funny. Also, I wanted to say about Tempe, not Tempe, um, <laughs> is a lot, we met a lot of people afterwards that came by themselves, made friends in the line. Mm. And I know a lot of people, Nikki Glazer talks about this on her Instagram all the time. A lot of people are scared to come to shows alone. Do it. And it seems like our listeners are really friendly and fun. And people come by themselves and leave making chats and friends with others. So don't let that deter you to coming to a show. Especially because I think one of them said they had just like maybe just recently moved to that town. And it's like, now look, now you have some new pals in your new town. You know, I think that's great. And while we're on the tour subject, let me just remind everybody that we will be at the Irvine Improv on May 11th. We're excited. That's in Southern California. If you live anywhere in the Southern California, Orange County area, Vicki Gunvalson, come to our show. Um, We love our live shows. They're so fun. The audiences are so awesome. And we've been having a great time. So come see us. Or, you know, if you know someone in the area, tell a friend. But Irvine is nuts. It's like a 500-seat venue. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so yeah, it's gonna it's, be We're going to be intimate. We're going to be intimate. <laughs> so if you want an opportunity to get super intimate with us, I would say Irvine is the thing to do. <laughs> That's the move. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to say, if you are at an improv when you come see us, 
The pretzel bites and cheese never disappoint. Oh, yeah. Everywhere we go, we get those pretzels and cheese, and it is so good. It might be ruining my colon inside and out, but I'm like, this is... <laughs> it's tr-. And then after hours of us doing the show, even cold, it is delicious. It's one of the best things we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciated it. Also, Drag Race, we both finally watched the finale. Yes, I finally watched the finale. No, if you haven't watched yet or you haven't watched this season yet, fast forward a couple minutes. We're going to talk about it because people were messaging us that we had not talked about it yet. And also, this doesn't come out for a little bit, so you're going to think that we are truly deranged for not watching for a long time. But um, I loved the winner. I loved the finale. I like. I loved the final lip sync. I thought it was great. I did. Um, I really, you know... Um, and I was just talking to your friend, our friend, H. Allen Scott, about this. Um, but, you know, I, th- I feel like I know him through you. But he is a drag performer. Yes. And it is interesting, me as not a drag performer, I'm just a fan of Drag Race. I have these opinions. And then I listen to Pit Stop or I listen to him and my opinions are fully wrong. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, yeah, these are people that are within the industry that are not seeing or paying attention. Because to me, I'm like, I miss the wheels and the excitement. And then on Pit Stop, Naomi and Monet were like, oh, we love this. We've been waiting from season eight to have this kind of thing. Like, give people their own space. And it's like, and their time to perform. That's what drag's really about. And I was like, Oh, you're right. Okay. I didn't, I wouldn't have known that. And that's what happens when you just watch the show, but you're not intimate and knowing about drag. I didn't know what was going on when like Lady Camden got picked and was so excited. And I go, why are you so excited? It's just your first face-off. And then I realized there is not going to be multiple face-offs. Like, yeah. um, So, but I- And H. Allen thought Camden should have won. Listen, I just think that Willow's doing something that's a little bit more special. That's all. I just think she's wackier and cool, funnier, and I would pay money to go see her before I would pay money to go see Camden. Camden's an excellent queen. Excellent. And, like, when Camden did the same stunt from the season, to me, I'm like, this lazy bitch. But all the other queens from the pit stop were, like, iconic to reference yeah, yourself. Like iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, I'm just, like, a fucking idiot. I'm the basic bitch no, at the bachelorette not. party Look, going, Barbie girl. You're allowed to have your own opinion. Monet was like, I was shocked by Willow Pill's additional, like, reveal. And Naomi was like, you thought she was going to perform as a big pair of pants for the whole show? And it just made me laugh. <laughs> and I loved when Willow said that drag is just uh, mental illness and rhinestone. I was like, yeah. okay, I love that. And yeah, uh, yeah, I love Willow. And I think that was it. Even though Camden is so talented, I, I think everyone wanted Willow to win from the beginning if it wasn't going to be cornbread. Sorry. And Camden had an amazing season. Season. I mean, she came out of like kind of nowhere. Like, I mean, she was strong always, but like, I don't think anyone was really chatting about her. And then she really like came up strong in the last. Yeah. I, I thought that they were both excellent. And. I just really, that last performance, I loved Willow's like little reveals, the pants and the suit jacket and then the other, I just liked it. I just think she's more interesting and like, I think it's cool to give it to those kind of queens that are doing wacko shit. You know, maybe people think it's too close to Evie Oddly's season for that, but not That's what A. Shallon said. He said too close? He said, she's not doing anything that special. Evie's done it before and Sharon Needles has done it and stop acting like it's something different. And I was like, okay, okay. But yeah, I'm still uh, team Willow. But I also, her song was, I Hate People was really fun. So fun. I thought that was so funny. And you, I introduced you to Leland, the guy who writes all those yes. um, songs. And I, I, he, he's so good at that. Like, and I he couldn't was actually even talk to him in, though. 
He was in the season this year. Yes. He was like in that, the romantic interest in the musical, the, the Roulon Rouge or whatever it was. No, I truly just kept staring at him smiling. Like I couldn't even say a word to him. I was just like, hey, like I just, yeah, I was too excited. Oh, yesterday at the comedy store, um, the place was a buzz. Because there were New England Patriots there. I oh. mean, put a gun to my head. I don't know who the fuck it was. I'm from New England and put a gun to my head and I don't know who those people are. So I'm sitting with Sarah Tiana, who is a big sports nut, sure. and um, with a few other comics. And suddenly, like, she wants nothing to do with me. And then I see a lot of really hot women. And I'm like, who are... Th- who are?" She goes, those are the biggest NFL players in the history of sports. And they were <laughs> on the Patriots with multiple Super Bowls. I'm like, those guys... Like, they didn't look like what I imagined football players to look like. I had no idea who they were. I would have never cared. And people, so I had to leave the, I was like, all right, you guys have Adam because I'm out of here. And every, every room they're like, Edelman's here. It's Edelman. Edelman. Oh yeah, yeah. You know Edelman? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I do know who that is. Yeah. But what I love is how so famous someone can be and other people, it's like, Oh, yeah. We never know. And I kind of love that about the world where you could sell out Madison Square Garden or have Super Bowl rings and I have no idea who you are. And then everyone else was like, did you see Edelman's ear? It's going, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then if I was like, oh my God, I saw Trixie and Katya last week, they'd be like, who? Who and who? Like, you yeah. know, it's like everybody's just got their different... We're, as a culture, we're very splintered off right now. Everyone has their own stuff, but I think that's like cool, you know? No, so. it is cool. And I love just going up to everyone and being like, so are you excited about the players? And they're like, well, you know, I'm from Boston. And everyone uh, had their own little story to tell. Yeah. And it was cute. And everyone was like searching for them. Or I'd be like, you know, they're in that room. And then people would just zoom off to uh, join them. So it was really... Yeah, I think I even know who Edelman is from like the Rana and Beverly podcast. Because Rana, you know, they're famously from Massachusetts. And Rana's like, I think he's Jewish. And Rana would always be like, oh, yeah, he, he can come to my house for, you know, for like Passover or whatever. And like, that's how I even know who that guy is. I truly don't know sports at all. Also, I don't know if we've already shouted this out, but our friend Allison Leiby is at the Cherry Lane Theater in New yes. York. Um, it's called Oh God, An Hour About Abortion. And it's going to be the hottest show in town. Yes. It's so, so get good. your tickets. Yeah. We've both been watching this get workshopped for like, you know, over a year, more, long, like long from before the pandemic. So um, it's so awesome. She's one of our dear friends. She She's one of the hosts of that podcast we recommended that a lot of you started listening to called Ruined. So if you, if, especially if you like that podcast, more Allison in New York, go. Honestly, worth a trip to New York if you even live in like that like area. Yeah, I bought a ticket for a day in June and uh, my friends went to the premiere and hung out, but she, and Allison bought a pair of Gucci loafers for I the saw, run. I saw. So it's just exciting and it's like a really... Um, special theater. It's prestigious. It's she like has a, a very prestigious deal. director. Like she has a very well-known director who's directing it in like the theater world. So it's very cool. And I'm, I'm, I've been searching flights to try to get something remotely affordable. These fucking airlines are trying to bleed us all dry so that I can go out and see it too. But well, it's so funny because ever, you know, the t- plane tickets are really expensive right now, but I bought a one way this week. And so I was like, Fuck yeah, this is cheap as fuck. And then I realized like it's I still one have to way. get home somehow. <laughs> so it's like a mental game. So if that helps you realize um you're, you know, paying eight hundred dollars to go to Minnesota. <laughs> just buy a one way. <laughs> yeah. <and then> just- <laughs> 
And um, before we start, I'm so sorry, but I already finished selling Sunset Season 5. It is <laughs> the dumbest television I've ever witnessed in my life, and it is a pleasure and a joy. And if you want to zonk out from the world and like, oh, I also found out Cheetos are gluten-free. Are you fucking kidding me? I feel like I knew that weirdly. My life is, I don't know. I mean, it's, I always punish my body anyways, but it's like, it is very thrilling um, too. Because <laughs> it's corn, right? Like it's puffed corn. I don't know, but it makes me be like, okay, yeah. gluten-free seems like a, a, I can an do option. It. I can I do can it, do it. <laughs> if Cheetos are involved. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. So Cheetos and Selling Sunset, for some reason, Kara refuses to get into Selling <sighs> Sunset. But. Well, what would I do even now? Could I just pick it up or would I have to go back to the beginning? I can't believe you just told me season five. Like, do you know season one was it started when Rosie was born? <laughs> They're quick and eat. It's not like, oh, wait, I have to rewind. I missed this. It's like the houses all look the same. Yeah. There's always an infinity pool. There's always a kitchen <laughs> island. It's always some kind of marble. And it's just like Barbie looking girls. A backsplash. And heels. A white, a white subway tile backsplash. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. And it's, you know, two short little men. And they own it and they have commitment issues. And, you know, it's just these hot women, former Playboy models selling real estate. All right, and I'll I love try it. to dip in. I'm really taking May to try to clear out my DVR. I'm behind. I have like a whole season of Atlanta. I have a whole season. I'm going to try to finish uh, Better Call Russian Doll. Russian Ugh. Doll is back. Barry is back. I mean, like everything but is... But those shows are hard. Like Russian Doll, I don't want to be on my cell phone. I don't want to be right. playing a game. You're I'm watching Russian Doll. you I can do while I'm like paying my bills and shit. Okay, yeah. that's... That's good to know. That's yes. good. Yeah, because Jersey's ending and then all these new housewives are starting. It's like, it just feels a lot overwhelming all the work I have to do, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With our SVU lives. And you guys, you're the best. Today's episode's amazing, but we also like have so many incredible. You're going to like, yeah, we have your pants. guests coming up. We're, We're really excited. Kiss your pants. <laughs> It's like very shocking. We don't just like blow all the information at the live shows once we've had a couple drinks. We're not like, yes, we did. Gonna be we, we told did people to in Denver. Walk. We told people in Denver one thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but they were sworn to secrecy. Do not spread the word. Um, anyway, let's get going. We have an awesome episode for you guys today. All right. So this episode, 41 Witnesses from season 17, is actually written by a friend of the pod, Robert Brooks Cohen. Hi, and Robert. what's fun is it aired on February 2nd, which is Groundhog's Day, but also my brother-in-law's birthday. So. <laughs> and Sydney Washington's birthday, if you guys are fans of her work. Or, you know, whatever. I am. Yeah. This starts off with Rollins, and she walks out of a bodega with giant bags. So she did a whole grocery haul at a corner store, which I love that for her. <laughs> and then she has a baby strapped to her chest, and she's chatting on a cell phone um, that after eight weeks of maternity leave, she is ready to come back to work. She is done um, sitting at home. And um, she asks whoever she's talking to on the phone, which we can assume is Benson, is like, how are you doing after everything? Um, and this was very recent after the home invasions, the townhouse incident episode. Uh, um, so, because it could be William Lewis, but that was fifth, season 15. 
Martinez. Yeah, so this yeah. is the townhouse incident uh, hostage situation. Olivia's most recent trauma. Yeah. Yes. You have to put them in order for sure. Um, so she said, you know, things are going okay. And Benson is at the office late, messy up do, not a bun, like a waterfall little moment. And she says, listen, don't worry about me. We're just really jazzed to see you tomorrow. Rollins hangs up and then she uh, hears like someone fighting behind her. So she looks and she seems like she wants to get involved forgetting she has a baby strapped to her. But um, it's a man on a phone and he's threatening to take a bus somewhere and push someone out the window. <laughs> but he yells at Rollins and is like, what are you looking at? And she just pets her baby's head and walks away. So now we're at the back of what to me looked like a pizza place, but then very soon after I learned I, that is a coffee shop, and I know that coffee shop on the Lower East Side, it's next to Veselka, which is a Ukrainian 24-hour like diner restaurant. So if you're in New York, maybe it's a great time to support Veselka. But this is The Bean, so it's on 2nd Ave, and I, I, I love when I know stuff. Uh, yeah, I've been there too, yeah. I've not been there because if I'm there, I'm going to Veselka. But oh. <laughs> I see it. I've always seen the bean. I think I've like walked in there to get a water. You know, I don't even drink coffee. I think I've just been in there before. No, maybe, maybe you're lying. Huh? You just thought you, you think were I cool. went and got food there? Yeah. I will say I've never been to Veselka. Like I've always wanted to go. Jared's been a many times. I just haven't been. I think I thought that it would be too like a lot of meat and that there wouldn't be anything for me. But I should go have a pierogi. Yeah, you could have a pierogi. You can have potato pancake. No, they have like a full breakfast American and then their own culture. So, yeah. but then they have like buttered noodles. You can get the borscht. Like there's lots of options. Oh, great. I can bring Rosie then. She'll eat buttered noodles. <laughs> so... Um, she she's at this coffee shop. She's in the back of it, and she's just straight up buying drugs and then snorting what looks like cocaine at the back. We learn later it's ketamine, but like it is pretty wild to not even go to the bathroom. But like you must be so fucked up or so used to doing drugs yeah. that you're snorting right at the in the coffee Full shop. View. Like in a busy ass coffee shop, like just putting it on like the area between your forefinger and your thumb, and just being like good night, like it. <laughs> Wild. I was like, you could go in the bathroom and do a key bump, bitch. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, and there's plants and couches, and she passes out on one of the soft chairs. Um, so then I was like, oh, that's definitely not Coke if you're passing out slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Immediate blackout is usually not Coke. Now, three hoodlum-looking men approach her, and the barista is eyeing them, okay? Is, a, is there a boy barista? Is it still barista? Barista? Yeah, I think it's barista no matter what. Yeah. So... <laughs> The barista is eyeing them, walking towards her. He does look suspicious of these three men, but also minding his own business. And they say, what's up, baby? What are you getting into tonight? And the, the, there's another woman, and she's working on her laptop, and she takes out her cell phone and starts recording what's happening. But no intervening, just recording the crime taking place. Um, the men act like they're just going to walk her home and take care of her. And the whole coffee shop watches her be taken by three strange men. The woman just keeps recording as they leave. Now, I've been, I think I've talked about this on this podcast. I've been in situations like this where I see shit happening and I'm like, we should call the cops. This isn't okay. Wait, what's going on? And like everyone around me acts like I'm out of control. Yeah. And in one case where no one would help me, not the bartender, not my friends, they, and then she fell and cracked her head open. And then I was like, oh, can I call the 911 now, you pieces of shit? And the guy ran away. Oh so, and if he was someone that cared about her in any way, he would have stayed as right. an ambulance came to help her. But he ran away, and I was right that 
Because he wasn't going to get what he was in it for. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been in these situations. I get in, I get too much involved. We also have to worry about our safety, but I do not relate to these people at the coffee shop. Yeah. Um, so now we're at a brick, big apartment building, and there's an older, short-haired woman, and she just watches as well. Um, but one of the young men turn around and talk to this short-haired woman and go, oh, that's my friend. She partied way too hard tonight, which is a good cover. But the woman is not convinced and starts to take out her cell phone to call for help. But the man that lied earlier turns around slowly and stares at this woman with her phone. So not a good sign. And then the other two are trying to get into the victim's apartment with her keys. And a neighbor from across the hall comes out and is like, who are you? What's up? So they run off. And long hair glasses neighbor man is like, yeah, you better run or I'll call the cops but she is so passed out outside so the two of them run back out and now um they're like oh this is perfect you know and to me that's so it's we talk about this where yeah it's perfect for them that she's so passed out like that yeah. is what they want in this situation she starts to wake up and now realizes what is happening to her starts freaking out in the bushes in the courtyard while they're trying to assault her and people are looking out the windows and moving their curtains she's struggling and then the music you know the score is pounding and people start turning their lights off in the apartments and no one is addressing the screams that they have been hearing now it's daytime, and we have outerwear divas Rollins and Benson coming into the <laughs> courtyard. So welcome back to work, Rollins. And Benson tries to talk to her, um, to the victim. And the victim is covered in like a silver ice, <laughs> you know, style blanket that they gave little children um, at the border that I think are still there. But okay, on to the next tragedy of our lives. But <laughs> there we need, I don't know. So the victim's in a um, a gurney, you know, a medical gurney being taken to an ambulance. She's in an ice silvery blanket thing. She's super, super pale. So it was cold and she has marks all over her face and baby Dodds appears. And so he'll be in this episode, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and he explains that the victim's name is Libby Parker, B11, and that the super found her at 7 a.m., uh, no video, Finn says, and then Carisi's walking towards them, too. So it's a full house of detectives on the beat. And Benson's like, there are a hundred windows up there. Somebody saw something. Come on. Credits. We arrive at a bustling emergency room, and Rollins is on the phone with whoever's taking care of her baby. Um, and then we have our gorgeous doctor, Dr. Darby Wilder, arrives on the scene to inform Rollins that she has a concussion, cracked ribs, and hypothermia, so they gotta just try and stabilize her right now. Dodds and Finn are in the apartment, and they tell the building super they need the names of everyone whose apartment faces the courtyard. Um, there's no men's clothing, but Dodd says someone was in her life because they see a photo with her and two kids. So maybe she has nieces. Like, we got to find out who these kids are. The man from earlier, the neighbor across the hall with long hair glasses, he's like, hey, is everything okay? And they go, no, who are you? Um, <laughs> so that's Finn. And he tells them that what, you know, what he saw the night before, that two men had keys trying to break in, and they were younger in Spanish. He yelled at them, but didn't call the police, and then he had his headphones in, and that's that. He didn't hear anything else with his headphones. So now we uh, now we see Carisi, and he's talking to a woman with a sharp-ass lob and bangs, so she gives me an artsy moment. Uh, maybe she got into this apartment on an artist's uh, 
what is it, residency program yeah, 40 yeah. years ago and has continued to live in this apartment. And do you hear anything, Carisi asks? And she said she went to the window. She saw out there. Um, she saw the men with hoodies. She saw, she heard the screams, but she didn't call the police because she assumed someone else already did. And, you know, there were so many lights on. So now we cut to a sexy interracial couple and casting. Way to go. So the man (laughs) starts talking shit like, oh, we know her. She's always smoking out the window. And his girl's like, okay, can you relax? She just got attacked. Like, who cares (laughs) if she's smoking cigarettes out the window? And uh, she's like, I told you I heard screaming. And he's like, "Um, you just said a noise. So they didn't do anything either. They saw nothing because it was dark, he says. And the woman in the couple does have a look like he's not telling the truth. Like, they did hear more. There is more. Like, you can see she's holding back. He just seems very, very... uh, I don't want to give you any information, which makes you seem so suspicious, even though I don't think he had anything to do with it. It's just he does not want to talk or help, like, at all. Well, absolutely. And because this is like, you know, we saw this crime taking place and it was so scary and this victim and we saw everything. But also, I learned this from an episode of This Is Actually Happening, and I've mentioned this, what, the incest episode that I listened to, and I'm forgetting um, the amazing person's name that I follow. But, you know, a lot of immigrant communities, because this guy was Asian, like, they are taught their whole lives, you don't trust the, you know, he could have been born here, he could have been, you know, like, he could be just, like, American as fuck, but in terms of, like, immigrant cultures, if you're not, if you grew up not legal or something, you're taught from a very young age, don't trust the cops, don't call the cops, don't get involved, Mm -hmm. you don't need trouble, you know, even with my, the Uber driver where we saw someone get hit on his bike, like, he was so worried about his immigrant status that he was like, they're gonna pin it on me, like, I have a good record, I need to work, and so, this guy seems very American. This is, I think, someone that really grew up in America. But that is one thing. We do, we are ACAB sometimes. So it's like, mm-hmm. when do you decide to call and not call? And that's yeah. kind of this hard thing. Like, I get involved all the time if I see a woman in distress or a child. Like, I do. But... I can imagine someone that, like, grew up in Chinatown being like, I'm not fucking calling yeah, nobody. Yeah, no, I got you. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, just some stuff to think about. But I'm yeah. still I'm still mad at both of them. So all the cops, like, meet up. And they're like, fuck these bitch assholes that live in this building. Like, no one did anything. And Carisi is so mad. He's like, the cops could have been here in just a few minutes. And it's like, yeah, in SVU land. But, yeah. <laughs> like, this few minutes might be a little fantasy of yours too, Carisi. <laughs> but he goes, you know, the cops could have been here, and now this woman might die. So all of these people making these little choices could have resulted in this woman being fully dead. Um, now, a fun little fluffy dog in a tutu runs <laughs> runs into the scene. A star. Uh, I wish we could have gotten her as our guest this episode. So <laughs> if you were thinking it's tutu dog, it is not her. And uh, they, you know, the dog passes the yellow caution tape and a man in a beanie is trying to run to grab his little fashion dog. Um, and if you're a Sex in the City person, you might know this guy as Dr. Bradley Mego. He is the man that Carrie goes on a date with but isn't really interested in when they're in the Hamptons. You know, it's the pink cowboy episode where she sees Big. I kept wondering where I've seen him in. Like, I could not place him. I've seen him in so much stuff, but I couldn't place it. But yeah, that's it. 
Does this help you? Yeah. Yes. Like, he's so into her. This is when Charlotte gets crabs. Yeah. And she's not into him. But, like, when she sees Big, she's like, well, you know, I'm on a date with a doctor. Yeah. Um, so it's Dr. Bradley Mego, everybody. So Creasy picks up this cute puppy and starts to question the man. Dodds joins in, and this guy's like, oh, I was at a bar with my boyfriend. I saw nothing. I really wasn't around. And so Creasy goes, you know, you can say whatever you want for people from Staten Island, but at least we have each other's fucking back. And it's like, well, yeah, all the cops live on Staten Island. They would be gung-ho to get involved, and they'd probably yeah, help Creasy's rape, to be honest. Yeah, like, really, like, the most pissed of everybody in this, though, episode. He's really getting so mad about the lack of response. Well, yeah, because he's a good old boy and he is still not naive, but he's their cynicism and jade, being jaded has not really come to, to him. him yet. But yeah. you know what they always say at SVU? Like, once you're not affected, you need to leave the force. Like, right. once the shit stops bothering you, because Danny Beck's like, I'll get used to it. And Stabler goes, then that's when you quit. Yes, totally. I actually am kind of disturbed by how much we know about this show. Like, I am. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> I was thinking of the Erica Christensen thing where she was like, those who fight monsters have to worry about not becoming them. But that's not quite the same. That's not quite, a, that's a little bit more hardcore than just like getting used to it. Yeah. No, but the, also I'm so glad, like sometimes I think about all these people that we talk to and I can't believe it. And then we also hear, and then you said Erica Christensen and I was like, oh my God, that was amazing. Holy shit. <laughs> so yeah, Carisi though is young on the force and to him it's like, how do you not help? Because he just wants to help everyone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he wants to help Rollins. He wants to be a stepdad. He wants to help his sisters and, you know, his mom. He wants to help everyone at all times. So Finn goes, we have a break. She used her card in the coffee shop in the East Village last night. Let's go. I think I said Lower East Side earlier, but it's the East Village. Yeah, yeah. So they go into the bean, all the detectives with iPads of the victim's face, and they want some answers. The barista from the last night is working, and I do wonder how many times he bitched to his coworkers how he had to close last night, and it was also opening this morning and having to work. But he's trying <laughs> to save money because he's going to Tulum in a few weeks. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just know this employee's whole uh, script yeah. for this day. And he tells Dodds that um, she was high as a kite and that there are cameras there, but they can't provide footage because the cameras only last an hour and then dump the footage, which is confusing because that helps no one. It's like, just have no recordings. Why would you delete every hour? I understand deleting every week. I think it's also because this is kind of a druggy coffee shop and they're just like, the cameras are there for like um, show, but they do like work, I guess, but not, you know. Yeah, so yeah. weird. So Carisi is pleading loudly with everyone there and he's getting upset. Nobody's listening or helping him. Uh, Carisi then recognizes the woman from the night before with the laptop and she also goes to Fordham. So he's like, oh, what's up? We go to law school together. And she admits she did see the woman. And Carisi leaves his card and says, if there's anything else, please, please tell us. And it's like, bitch, why did you record if you're not going to fucking yeah. get involved? So she's thinking about it. You're also a law student. <laughs> like, yeah. So we're back at the precinct and Dodds has come to the conclusion that the cafe is a drug den. Um, and there's a team meeting and Benson mentions the bystander effect. Sometimes the more witnesses, the less help because everyone thinks somebody else will take care of it. And she's wearing a very sexy leather uh, blazer. Now Dodds chirps in that they found her ex-husband and he's living in Detroit with their two kids and was very quick to say that she was a junkie. And Benson's like, okay, well, does he care that she's in the hospital? Because that's pretty fucked up. Like... <laughs> 
And Dodd says he didn't seem concerned about her at all, which is a bummer, you know, when you feel, yeah. like, lonely and not loved by people that should care about your well-being. And these are your children's mother who will be upset when she's no longer alive. Right. Carisi runs in, and they got the footage from the phone. Let's get these bastards. So Benson gives him a good job, and he pops a major boner. You know, all he wants is fucking compliments from the women in the squad. So um, we got to get their faces everywhere. Let's go. We head to the Westway Youth Center, and a woman is telling Rollins and Dodds that she recognized the boys, and they frequent this youth center. Um, the boys' names are Ronnie Ellis, Juan Flores, and William Reese. She explains that Ronnie and Juan are hardcore, but that Will is a good boy, and this is very out of character for him. She said she told the boys to wait in the game room, and she unlocks the game room. And the boys are, of course, not there. These are, like, kids that are mostly raised in the streets. Like, they're not going to stay locked in a little toy room as they you get the They took the, the fucking AC unit out so they could bounce. Like, they were not hanging around. No. And so they escaped out the window, and there's deep violin music to the commercial break, and we're back. So they're talking to all the other kids in, like, the bunk area because these these teens can't afford data. So all of their communication is through Twitter and Facebook. So that's helpful, but, like, they don't have any, like, text stuff to look through. And Ronnie has been kicked out of three shelters and doesn't really have friends. Juan is from a very abusive home, and Will has been rescued from, sex, like, a sex trafficking ring. And so these boys just really have, a like, a sad existence. Yeah. They run as a pack and, um, you know, they're hiding and we need to fucking find them. So Will has been picked up before for solicitation. So they go to an area where there's a lot of, like, young boy sex workers. It's very sad. And so they got to trick him and get him. So Finn and Carisi are doing this nighttime search and pickup. Carisi is like, damn, this is a hard way to earn a living. Will is from On My Block, and we've interviewed a lot of wonderful people from that show. So if you recognize him, he is from On My Block. Um, and, you know, they're like, hands in the air. They got his ass. And he looks so scared and sad. And I just really feel for this boy. And I'm really upset. And they show him the video that they have in the interrogation room. And he says, he did not hurt that lady, he swears. But they're like, well, someone did, and we have witnesses who saw the whole thing. So you're the fall guy, right? And they're so they're like, you better fucking tell us what happens. Like, DM them, like, get them over, like, get their location. And he goes, fuck no, Ronnie's going to kill me. I'm not doing it. And he is, like, really scared of his friends. Uh, Barbara shows up, and he's going to get shut up. Uh, Barbara is here, and he's going to get warrants to search all their phones. So just you wait. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of a lot of games with all these warrants. So Rollins busts in and says, good news, Libby just woke up. And Rollins is wearing a beautiful sheer white shirt with, like, patterns on it. And I just really like her. You know, I wonder if she, like, brought in her post-maternity outfits and, yeah. like, planned it, like, her first day of school and was, like, online shopping um, in between naps. <laughs> so she's been out of it for two days now. And Benson's like, yeah, you almost died. And she um, has nobody to call. So that's very, very sad. Aww. Um, they tell her how they found her and ask her if she remembers anything. Rollins says they found alcohol and ketamine in her system. She goes straight to saying, please don't tell my ex. I swear I've been trying to do better. Benson pushes her to remember something. She remembers pavement on her back and she remembers it being so cold. So sensory things are coming to her. 
but she feels like she was floating outside of her body like a bad dream, and she doesn't remember her attackers. So they go, well, what's the last thing you remember? And she says having a, you know, she was having a really bad night, so she was drinking at a bar. She went to a coffee shop to sober up, but then some guy offered her Special K, and she was, you know, she was stupid, she says. Rollins passes her an iPad to do some scrolling, and she is shocked when Rollins says that she left with three men from the cafe. She's so confused. She goes, wait, they had my keys. She really doesn't remember being assaulted or any of them or the courtyard. Like, but she goes, well, someone must have seen something. Like, there's so many people. Like, the courtyard, I have neighbors. Like, they were, and no, um, sorry, your neighbors are all pieces of trash. So absolutely not. Rollins and Benson are doing a walk and talk through the hospital and trying to discuss what happens, but there's just so many roadblocks, especially when your victim does not remember anything and is a junkie. That's not a good witness. We got to talk about the DAs. Um, you know, we got we to gotta build a case against these uh, bad teens. So they have to lean on the neighbors no matter how trash they are. It's the only option they have. So Rollins is so mad at this victim, though, because, you know, it is... It, she's like, you know how hard it is for a woman to lose custody? And Benson's like, okay, you gambling freak. Addiction is addiction. And Rollins is suddenly on this high horse because she's been, what, a mom for a few months? Like, I, yeah. it's, it's so annoying to me. And these are the reasons we hate Rollins is these moments. Well, yeah, and it's also, but it's also, it's very indicative of how a lot of people feel about women. Like, mothers get, like, more shit. Like, if I were to commit a crime, people would go, oh, my God, she has two kids. Instead of just, it's fucked up, she committed that crime. Like, it's worse that I have kids, you know what I mean? Like, I think the way that we, we've talked about it before, like, with other kids, like, with Nix Marie Brown, her mother got more time than the man who killed her, you know? Because we just judge mothers so much harshly. Yeah. And that's Rollins, baby. Yeah. Um, and it's like, why are, you know, like you're working 20 hours a day. So are you even with your kid? <laughs> okay, we're at Atlantic Avenue and 4th near a PC Richards that I have seen in my life dozens of times. This PC <laughs> Richards is emblazed in my brain and mind. Um, and nobody will help them or give them the time of day. So obviously this episode has a really big theme. Uh, but also at the, to the police, if you want people to want to work with you, maybe, you know, don't fuck up people's lives. They are really pushing this message that nobody cares. So the men spot some stoners and they and the stoners think they're in trouble. And they're like, we don't care about your fucking joint. Where did you get it? Um, so Carisi's hair is extra gelled up in this episode. Like, yeah, it's a knockdown for how attractive I think he is. The girls start running um, to catch the drug dealer boys, and they're going to get these men on all sides. So it's the the men start running, the hoods are up, the boys, the bo- like the dods, the creasy, all of them are out there trying to get these guys. Um, and they're they're stuck, they're caught, and it's done. I'm sorry, you're caught up. We now see the other faces of the boys. And the long-haired man is Anthony Ramos. So, hello in the Heights. We love you, Broadway baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of listeners are like, when will she mention this is Anthony Ramos? I'm mentioning <laughs> it right now. Um, a huge star. And, you know, once Anthony Ramos became so famous within the Heights, I do remember, was there like a cheating scandal strip club or anything like that? Do you know? I don't know about the strip club, but there is a viral video of him cheating on his um, girlfriend or fiance named Jasmine Safas Jones. And they, she did dump him. And it was a three-year engagement. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. 
<laughs> Got Our it. own little Perez Hilton, Lisa Traeger. <laughs> but kinder, you know, if you want to cheat, you can cheat. So yeah. everyone is videotaping this whole encounter on their phones. So Carisi loses it. Like, fuck all of you! Oh, you want to keep on watching? Thanks for all your help. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to help you attack teens who are just selling weed on the street. Who might have had a hard life, Carisi? Um, but he's just mad that no one is engaging and helping them. So... Long hair is such a teen. And he's like, come on. <laughs> I'm staying out of trouble. And Rollins is like, then why'd you run? And he says, because you were chasing me. He got you there, Amanda. I'm sorry. <laughs> In the other room, Dodds is with Ronnie, who throws the iPad on the table like, fuck that waste case. All we did was try to help her get home. And it's like, well, if you were nice and trying to help her get home, you wouldn't have called her like a waste case and thrown the iPad. You could have been like, oh my God, how is she doing? Like, if you're going to lie, fucking do it and be like, oh my God, we were so worried for her. We helped get her to her house. Like, you can't be mad and be convincing that you helped get them home. Yeah. So the men aren't buying any of this, obviously. And they say, we have witnesses. Um, but he goes, nope, that's a bluff. We watch the news. Nobody called 911. And then he evil smiles. So we could tell Ronnie is like the most evil of them all. And little Will, he's in lockup in the center of the room. Um, in the cage, as they say. Benson tells him that his friends are giving him up. So, like, tell us your side. And he keeps name-dropping um, Linda. And Benson's like, Linda from the shelter can't do anything for you. So, tell us what's up. Benson and Barba are talking about, like, what's going on. And the boys are just not being helpful in any way. And nothing's happening. They're lying. And we got nothing for this case. Um, Ronnie had a second phone on him, though, that night that he deleted activity. So there's an assignment for Taru. And Benson wants to bring photos and see if someone's at Libby's building can make an ID. So people start scrolling. Long hair glasses is back and forth and, like, not being really helpful. And they're all messing the investigation up. And, you know, they do say if, like, someone's a different race than you, your, your visual ID goes down credibility, like tenfold. Mm. You know, it's like just really, really, I guess hard to tell the difference between someone that's not your same race. So even all of this eyewitness testimony, if they did get it right, would be tough, but all of them keep fucking up. They all are, no, it's this one. No, it's this one. I, I don't know. And then the couple, again, is not really that willing to help. And he says he refuses to get along. And he starts talking about it like, do you even know what this has been like? It's been all over the news. It's been really tough. And it's like, oh, it's been tough for you? Like, now yeah. we hate this guy. Now my, like, cultural sensitivity to not trusting cops is like, you're a piece of shit. You think this <laughs> woman getting fucking assaulted is about you. Hate that. And how hard it's been for him. So I hate him. The woman with the Bangs isn't being helpful. Like, none of these neighbors are being helpful. But anyway, so then the the Asian dude, he goes, people are claiming we don't care. And it's like, well, you don't. You're running away from any care that you could have given. And Amanda goes, well, you can show everyone how much you do care and help us, little flirt. God, Amanda's so good. Charmer. <laughs> charmer. Um, the couple looks at each other and maybe they're going to help and it cuts away to basically Amanda, Amanda telling Barba that not one person can make an ID on all three. And this does more harm than good and hangs up. Davi digs is walking towards Barba. And there's a, oh, hello, good sir. Um, so it's like a Broadway jam-packed in the house tonight. I bet David and Bar and Raphael were just, like, singing songs to each other, I'm assuming. Yeah, with Anthony Ramos. Yeah, 
like all of them, I'm sure. There's no way they were not doing some dances together. There was a full barbershop quartet going on, I'm yes. sure, at lunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and God, will David just please do our fucking podcast? If you are friends with him, let him know we have been, <laughs> we want him so bad. And especially after the video all of you sent us about Benson drinking from his Grammy, like, we fucking need him on the show. Yeah. And will it help if he knows I saw him on the original cast? You know, I'm I'm in it. <laughs> if that helps, let him know. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's like psychotic how often I try to bring it into conversation that I did see the original cast. <laughs> now my new thing is saying I saw Strange Loop off Broadway before anyone. So, and what's yours? You saw In the Heights before everyone, right? I saw In the Heights on Broadway, but I did not see original cast because I saw it with Corbin Blue from High School Musical and people went fucking nuts for him. But I saw like B.B. Newworth in Chicago. Like I've seen some good shit. But not um, not a lot of the more recent stuff like you have, Bets and Hamilton. Well, yeah, but I was in New York. So it's like because most of the other plays that are shows that came out, I saw in Chicago with the touring company. Yeah, so. yeah. Broadway jam-packed. We'd love to know how the lunches went um, in this videotaping. But maybe the days weren't that wild because they had to work and go straight to set to play. I want, you know, they could have oh, all yeah. been on Broadway right now while That's true. filming this. Like we have no fucking clue. True, true, true. So their interaction, you know, David is defense, defense, defense. And Barbara goes, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, so that's that. So David Diggs got involved with this case because the youth center contacted him to help protect Will. So he is just Will's attorney, not the other two boys. And he wants to, of course, make a deal. And Barbara goes, absolutely not. He will be charged for rape. And he goes, what if he testifies? And Barbara goes, I have no way of knowing who did what. Like, I don't know what you want from me. And it will be a felony. Like, I do not care. So now we go back to the precinct. Taru got um, all this information on the second cell phone. And the second cell phone, there was a 911 call made from that phone the night that, that like, would have happened. But he obviously, Ronnie, wouldn't have called the cops. So it probably wasn't his phone. Listeners, are you putting this together? So most contacts in the phone are from Hispanic females. And Benson is sneaky, sneaky, and is like, why don't you call one of these women and say you're just trying to return the cell phone? So we're at the apartment now of Maria Ortiz, and she is scared, and she has a shiner on her fucking face, okay? So she is clearly lying. We know it's the woman from earlier that Ronnie caught about to call 911. She says, I didn't see anything. And it's like, you have a giant bruise, and we have your phone found on this guy. Like, we know what's yeah. up. <laughs> Benson goes, you did the right thing. You did. You called 911. And she disagrees because she was punched in the face. So she does not think she did the right thing. And, you know, this is, this adds to the layers of this episode and help and not help. This woman did try to help and got fucking beat the sh up. Mm -hmm. And it could have been worse. They could have gang raped her next, you know? Like, we don't know what's going on, so... Interesting. Benson goes, finish what you started and tell us what you saw. She's not that mean. I don't know why I acted so mean all of a sudden. She, but <laughs> she uh, starts spilling the beans. Um, he threatened to kill her, so she ran away. And they're like, did you see their faces? So now we're at the lineup. And she confirms Will, then Juan, then Ronnie. Okay, 100%. She killed that shit. 
Um, so now we meet another defense attorney who's like scumbag vibes extraordinaire. Public Defender Guthrie is his name. And he's been in 11 episodes and he is not shook. Ronnie starts talking and suddenly he said that she was high and horny and wanted all three of them at once. So Benson's shocked that he would even try with that story. Uh, She was blacked out and couldn't walk. And he said, yeah, that's why, you know, we said no. And that's why we took her there and then bounced. And it's like, wait, so then you left her in a cold bush? Like, none of your lies are working. Even if you're saying, so now she wanted all three of you, so you were gonna bang, and then you decided not to, but then you left her in a bush, but you were trying to take her home and just help her. Like, honey, this isn't looking good for you, and you're gonna go to jail. And the defense guy said that she probably went back on the prowl for dick. I mean, the balls on this guy. (sighs) And wants to settle for just minor assault on the nanny, and Benson and Baraba spin around to leave, like, fuck off, no deal, see you in court. Maria's on the stand and she's telling the truth and calling the boys out. Bam, bam, bam. Defense is trying to push the story that the boys are just trying to help. Uh, And we got long hair neighbor with glasses on the stand. We have the beautiful woman and the apathetic couple on the stand. Finally, they decided to help. Um, And then the man and the couple and Barbara goes, why didn't you call? And he said, nobody else seemed panicked and lights were on, so I thought nothing was happening. And Barbara goes, well, you were wrong. And the man says, yeah, Libby was screaming for help. He heard her crying for help, but Davi Diggs is like, but you heard that and didn't call the cops. And instead of admitting you're a bad person, suddenly it's like, well, I guess I didn't know what happened. And is like poking holes in the the testimony. And now it's the artsy older woman and she's also being very, very unhelpful. And Barba is just seeing his case fall apart in front of his eyes. And Benson is like... um, is in the back of the courtroom just like rolling her eyes and just big sighing vibes. Finally, Libby takes the stand and I am worried for her. Mm. she admits taking drugs and not being proud of that and that she doesn't have a great memory of that night and it hasn't like come back yet but she does not remember giving consent she also doesn't feel like she would have consented to three strangers in public like that's not really on her bucket list (laughs) so we're not kink shaming here Um, no no that's just funny (laughs) David is like you know, Kate, uh, David, uh, I don't know why I've never learned his character name, but to me, he's David yeah, Dix forever. Um, but his architectural digest on YouTube is like a really sweet watch. Like him and his wife have like a really nice um, home and relationship. But we know they're, the story behind it with Trey and Charlotte McDougal from their home and gardens photo shoot. You don't know what's behind it, but yes. they're, they're <laughs> at, you know, they are actors, but like, I really liked seeing them in their home. Another cute couple is Aaron Paul and his wife. Like they play backgammon every morning and I just, I like the architectural digests. YouTube channel. David is like, you know, K zaps your memory and you don't remember shit. So what are we going to, you know, what do you want from us? And she says it was caught on video. And she says, I didn't ask to be raped. And he keeps just pushing the story of consensual sex and how like you don't remember like, so you just don't remember begging for rough sex. Is that right? She says, I don't like rough sex. I would have never told them that. And David is like, but you don't remember anything, do you? And she has to answer no. So Benson is stretching her neck out like, oh, God, fuck this. And Barbara, (laughs) it's like, come on, think quick, think quick. 
And Barba does nothing. He is all out of ideas. So we're out of the courtroom, and she's standing in her apartment, like, with some tulips and a vase. And I feel like that's on purpose, and I was correct. Um, And she is talking to Carisi and Rollins in the apartment. Like, they're going to get off, aren't they? Like, they're not going to get in trouble for this. And there's a knock on the door. And when she goes to open it, Rollins and Carisi stand back. And who walks in but the fashion dog and Dr. Bradley Mego. (laughs) So he's checking in on his friend and those flowers were from him. So I knew there was a reason that there were some tulips. That was not random. Um, And he recognizes Carisi and is like, whoopsie, I'm going to leave. I'll visit later. Peace out. And Libby calls him a friend and they're both single. They both have no family and um, they both go to AA. So Carisi all of a sudden is in super detective mode and goes, AA, because, you know, he said that he was wasted at the bar. And also, like, he mentioned that he was at a bar with his boyfriend, and she's saying that they're both single. So a lot of lies are piling up. Uh, Libby says, I suck at AA, but Doug really works his program. He's an old-timer, and he gets really mad at me for slipping. So Sonny's like, I'll be right back. Zooms out. Rollins says, take your time. Let me let me let me slut shame Libby and make her feel like a bad mom real quick while you go do some detective work. So Carisi gets dug and starts trying to get some answers. We caught you lying. You said you were at a bar with your boyfriend, but Libby just said you're an AA and single. You were home that night, weren't you? He denies seeing anything, and Carisi does a big speech. They're gonna get off, and he says, "Better than killing me." They know where I live, and he just keeps shaking his head no. All you had to do was call nine one. And he goes, I froze. I'm not good in high-stress situations. And Carisi goes, all you had to do was call. And he responds, well, I didn't. I couldn't. And then it was too late. And then he got drunk because he screwed up. And he just, like, shame spiral happened. Carisi goes into coach mode, just pumping him up like, you can do it. You can do it. Let's do this. Let's help. Um, She got hurt again on the stand. Like, we need you. If you don't testify, this case is over. Benson, Carisi, and Barba are in the courthouse hallway, and he's like, honestly, it might be worse with this guy. He kind of sucks, and, like, most people are going to hate him. Like, most people admitted they were there. Like, this guy won't even admit it. There's so many lies. Like, is this really what's going to help this case? Uh, But we're here, and he's the only person that saw it all, and Barba goes, like, this is our only shot, but also he's a drunk. Like, what are we going to do? And Carisi goes, we went over the story over and over. It's the same story. He is credible. Like, he has no morality, but he's... Oh, yeah. So then so then Barba sarcastically cheers, credible with no morality. Fantastic. <laughs> and Benson's like, you told him to be here. Like, he's an hour late. What the fuck? And then he fucking walks in, and he's wasted. Mr. Nelson is drunk as a skunk. What an asshat. He admits to drinking and asks for, like, a postponement, but he doesn't know how to stall, and so, like, I don't know what to do. But Barbara just goes, just give him a gallon of coffee, and we'll see what happens. So he's on the stand with his arm on the side of the testifying box, like, hold, like to make, like, holding himself up so he doesn't puke everywhere. <laughs> um, it's like he's holding onto the side of a car with an open window. So they gave him coffee. He's on the stand. They stalled as long as they could, but we're we're in this. Um, his suit is loosened, and he's finally telling the truth. Uh, Libby looked barely awake, and he saw the boys taking turns and forcing themselves inside her mouth. The other guy, William, was holding her down, and then he just went home. 
Libby is shaking her head in the audience while listening to this. She think, wow, what a betrayal. This was her friend. He just started drinking till he forgot, but he'll never forgive himself for that. And David comes on down. Um, like, you're a drunk and a bad friend and a coward. So what are you doing here? Maybe you are lying and saying this right now to make up for this since you feel so bad and you were just drunk and actually are you drunk right now? And he admits that he is. Barba, Libby, and Benson and everyone is super upset again because they see the case just like flailing. Barba takes a chug of water, throws a Hail Mary pass of lawyer tasks and like does this. So he said, why did you get drunk that night? Um, and he responds, because what I had seen was horrible, but I failed to help Libby and I was mad at myself for being a coward. And Libby is just truly heartbroken. And you could see it in her eyes. Great acting. And he asks, why did you drink today? And he responds, because he was afraid to testify and afraid to see what everyone would think of him. Then Barba asks, can you repeat the questions David asked you? And he starts repeating all of them. And we're like, okay, where is he going? Obviously, there's like a big plan. Then he asks, what were they wearing that night? And he closes his eyes and recalls exactly what they were wearing. He then makes the witness close his eyes and start describing the makeup of the jury to the court. And he straight up is like six men, six women. He knew their race, like exactly where they sat. He knows everything. He legit kills it. Drunk remembering things. And so this is cool. He has a photographic memory, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, figured that out on the fly, that this guy has a photographic memory. Barbara's just killing it. And then little Will puts his head in his hands and like he knows he's got God and he's going to live in prison for the rest of his fucking life. And he should have made a deal and turned on his fucking friends earlier. And it's sad because we know he was like saved from human trafficking. It's just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And obviously like he held down a woman as his friends assaulted her and he deserves to go to jail. But yeah. I feel for him. And maybe it's because he's such a cute little actor. <laughs> like, Yeah, and he seems smaller than the other kids and younger. And, like, definitely they want you to feel, like, differently about Will. Yeah, but he definitely, he knows it's done. So David then says his client wants to testify against the others. And Barbara goes, it's too late, dude. I don't need him. You should have done this sooner. Um, and again, the theme of the episode helps. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. He was a bystander. That's not going to cut it here. You're going to jail. So Dr. Bradley Migo is asking Carisi now off the stand <laughs> what he should say to Libby. And he's like, D I don't know. I mean, maybe try saying I'm sorry. Like, I'm not a poet. So he approaches Libby and says, hey, Libby, I'm so, so sorry. And she just says, so am I and walks away from him. But also, what did you expect? Um, and now it's, uh, you know, Groundhog's Day, the defendants rise, uh, charge of criminal sexual acts in the first degree. All three men are found guilty. Will should have flipped on them sooner. And like, yeah, sad. Um, and then Libby, who has been through so much, runs, rushes out of the courtroom. And Amanda is being such a fucking bitch. Like, she will defend any terrible man, always, but one female addict, and there's no room for empathy. Like, it's just so frustrating, and it's so common all over the world. Um, Amanda said, I don't think she's going to change her life, and she'll be drunk by Friday. And Finn says, you just got back, and you're tired. Why don't I take you home? <laughs> and Ice-T's shirt here is such a deep V cut. I've never seen him with so much chest skin showing. <laughs> I didn't even notice. It's truly like a Saturday night fever plunge with a <laughs> chain on his bare skin. Like, we usually see the chain, but not on bare skin. 
And Benson, finally we get her in a purple shirt. This whole episode, she was wearing white and red. And I was like, hello. Uh, But she tells Barba, good job. And she's home drinking wine while watching the monitor and talking on the phone. Who is she talking to? Uh, She asks for a rain check. She fills someone in, but we got no information. And she drinks more red wine in her nice ass apartment. And that's that. Did you feel like they were trying to, like, though, make a comment? Because she was, like, chugging that wine. Like, she, like, chugs a glass, like, refills it twice, and it's, like, a one-minute scene. Like, I feel like they were trying to make a comment on, like, you know, how moms have all different kinds of ways of, like, sort of self-medicating, and, like, it's okay to have a few glasses of wine, but where's the line? Obviously, doing K in a coffee shop is not great, you know, for your parenting, but, like, you know... I just thought it was like an interesting thing at the end because Amanda's been so judgy and now it's like, here's Liv chugging glasses of wine after work while watching her baby. Is she going to be in okay shape if something happens or, you know, they have to run out of the building in a fire? I don't know. You know, I just felt like they were kind of trying to get you to think about that. Yeah, no, I saw what they were trying to do and it mostly pissed me off. I was like, <laughs> stop shading fucking Ben yeah, kill you. She's had a rough day I'm- at work. I'm at home having many glasses of wine with my children at home. Don't you worry. I'm not trying to shame anyone. I just thought the show was trying to say something. No, they were trying to say something, and I thought it was dumb. Sorry, Robert. (laughs) Love you, Robert. Love you, Rob. All right, we will be right back after these special messages to give you the breakdown of the true crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. This is a true crime that many, many people know about. Um, It is based on the murder of Kitty Genovese. And this um, was mentioned in the episode when... Olivia brings up the bystander effect. This is, a cl- like, has been for years known as a classic case of the bystander effect, but there's a little bit more to it. So let's dive in. Catherine Susan Genovese. Um, you In Italian, you say Genovese, but I think her family says Genovese. So Catherine and Susan Genovese, known as Kitty, grew up in Brooklyn. Um, but in 1954, after her mother witnessed a murder, they moved the family out to my hometown, which is New Canaan, Connecticut which I just think is 
a coincidence and weird. She had already graduated high school and was set to get married. So she's like, I'm going to stay behind in Brooklyn with my grandparents, get ready for my upcoming nups. She did get married, but the marriage was annulled near the end of 1954. And then she kind of wanted to be an independent woman. She was working a bunch of jobs that she hated. And then eventually she became a bartender and um, started kind of managing bars too. And she did get arrested for bookmaking, like running horse bets out of the bar. And I think that's kind of badass. I mean, it's sort of a victimless crime and kind of cool. And so I think one of the reasons why she did not um, end up staying in her marriage was because she was a lesbian and she did live with her girlfriend, Mary Ann Zialonko from 1963 in in an apartment together in Kew Gardens, which is an area of Queens. Now, on March 13th, 1964, Kitty, who was 28 years old, was headed home from her job at a bar that she worked at in Hollis, Queens, um, at around 2.30 in the morning, when she was spotted by a native New Yorker named William Mosley, who was 29. He spotted her in her car and followed her. She got home around 3.15 in the morning and parked her car in the Kew Gardens Long Island Railroad parking lot, which was about 100 feet from her apartment's door. As she walked towards the apartment complex, Mosley, who had followed her, got out of his car and approached her with a hunting knife. And she ran towards the front of the building, but he caught up with her and he stabbed her twice in the back. She screamed, oh my God, he stabbed me, help me. So she was screaming. Several neighbors did hear her cry, but only a few of them recognized the sound as a cry for help. Apparently, one of the neighbors, Robert Moser, leaned out of the window and said, let that girl alone, and Mosley ran away. And then he got in his car and he drove off. And so Kitty slowly made her way back around to the back of the apartment where she was out of view of a lot of her neighbors, but she was seriously injured, but no one could see her. So she gets into this back door And she actually had been stabbed in the lung in this initial attack. So it's unlikely that after the initial scream, she was able to scream anymore. Or at least if she was, it wasn't very loud. And then witnesses saw the attacker um, come back 10 minutes later. He searched the parking lot, the train station, the around the apartment complex, and he eventually found her again in this back door where she had basically passed out from her or was lying very incapacitated from her injuries. Um... And there was a locked door there that had prevented Kitty from getting inside. So she was just kind of in a vestibule lying there. And now now they're totally out of view of the street. And anyone who who may have seen or heard the initial attack kind of thinks that it's over. And so Mosley stabbed Genevieve several more times before raping her and stealing $49 from her and then running away again. I did watch a documentary about this that is done by her brother, and I'll talk about the documentary later. But in this, he does say the attempted rape of my sister, so it's unclear whether the rape actually took place or was just an attempt. Um, The attacks spanned approximately a half hour, like from the time that he stabbed her, that she made her way around, that he left and came back and that there were knife wounds on her hands to suggest that she had attempted to defend herself. A neighbor and a close friend of hers named Sophia Farrar found Kitty shortly after the second attack and held her in her arms until the ambulance arrived. So um, records of the earliest calls to the police are unclear and were not given a high priority. The incident also occurred four years before New York City had uh, been implemented the 911 emergency system. And a lot of people say that her murder is what led to its implementation. Wait, what so, happened before 911? You just called your local precinct, like a number. You, didn't, you couldn't just call 911. 
And then at a local precinct, you got to tell some desk cop and maybe he's not taking you seriously. It's just like a different, it was like a different um, way of doing it. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, one witness said that his father called the police after the initial attack and reported that a woman was, quote, beat up, but got up and was staggering around. So it's like a lot of people thought that they saw a man and a woman fighting that were in a couple. A lot of people thought that it was just drunks because there was a bar nearby and they thought that bar, like the drunks were just stumbling out of the bar getting into fights. A lot of people did not recognize it as screams of help and an attack. Like a few minutes after the final attack, Carl Ross, whose apartment was at the top of the stairs, they say he actually opened the door and saw Kitty at the bottom of the stairs. He called his girlfriend and asked her for advice, like, should I call the police? And she said, don't get involved. He eventually did call the police, but, you know, I think everything was, like, a little bit too late for when, like, if she, if he, she, if the police had been called while she was sitting at the bottom of the stairs before he had come back to get her for the second attack, she could have lived. So she was picked up by an ambulance at 4.15 in the morning, and she did die en route to the hospital. And she is, uh, she was buried in Lakeview Cemetery, which is in New Canaan, Connecticut, which is, I have family members that are buried there. So it's really interesting. I will probably go look for her grave or something the next time I go there. Um, but Mosley was arrested during a house burglary six days later. While he was in custody, he confessed to killing Genovese and two other women. One was named Annie Mae Johnson, who had been shot and burned to death in her apartment in South Ozone Park a few weeks earlier. And another was a 15-year-old girl named Barbara Kralik, who had been killed in her parents' Springfield Gardens home the previous July. So he is referred to as a uh, serial killer and a necrophiliac, this man, because he also confessed to some rapes as well. And I think there was some proof that he had liked to have sex with women that were dead. But he said he preferred to kill women because, you know, quote, they're easier and don't fight back. And he stated that he got up that night around 2 a.m. while his wife was working nights as a nurse and just drove through Queens trying to find a victim. And he confessed oh, to murdering— That's like the movie Strangers, you know? It's like no rhyme or reason. There's yeah, just more, he just wanted to so kill someone scary. and he saw her. And it's wild because what I read later is that on his way home from killing Kitty Genovese, he saw a man stopped uh, at like a stop sign or a red light or something who had fallen asleep behind the wheel. And with his knife, he walked up to the car, patted this person on the shoulder, woke them up and sent them safely on their way home. And they're like, why didn't you kill that person? He's like, oh, that, I didn't feel like killing that person. Like he just wanted to kill this person. You know, there's like no... There's not a lot of rhyme. I mean, he obviously, like, prefers to kill women. Well, yeah, because we always talk about how usually people get attacked by someone they know. And I guess that's more scary, but also now comforting because this is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is really horrifying. And he um, mostly ended up confessing to murdering and sexually assaulting um, the two other women, as well as 30 to 40 burglaries. Oh. And yeah, the Times called him a psychopathic serial killer and a necrophiliac. So he was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. Later, his sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. Um, and then while at, in Attica, like he was in Attica for a while in 1968, he actually escaped while he was on a hospital visit to Buffalo. He raped a woman and took hostages at gunpoint before he was eventually taken back into custody. And he also was part of the Attica uprisings in 1971. So he's a horrible, like, you know, obviously a horrible, sick man. But he was his parole's been rejected 18 times, and the last time was in 2015. And he actually died at Danamora in 2016 at the age of 81, having served 52 years in prison. But here is where 
this story is interesting because um, two weeks after the murder, the New York Times published a— So when it first happened, there was very little, like, press about it. But two weeks after the murder, the New York Times publishes this front-page article not focusing on Mosley or the crime itself, but instead on the 38 people in the building who they claim saw or heard the attack and failed to do anything. And they— this prompted the term the bystander effect or the Genovese syndrome. Um, and one witness had this famous quote that's been associated with the case, which was, I didn't want to get involved. And not only has SVU done this, I believe Law & Order maybe has done one. Perry Mason has done, like a lot of shows have done Kitty Genovese episodes. Um, girls. Girls did an episode called Hello Kitty that, you know, they're watching a live performance of like a sort of a, Sleep no more, but with the Kitty Genovese murder and um, the I didn't want to get involved quote gets put in a lot of places. So um, this was regarded as a very shameful moment in New York's history. Like it, it started this whole idea about urban apathy that in cities like New York, people only care about themselves. No one would help a person in need. They'll walk by a person who's dying in the street, essentially. But um, at the same time, you have to consider the context of where we were as a country. America was at a very violent turning point. Kennedy had just been assassinated. There were riots in Harlem. Crime was skyrocketing all over the place. Um, and everyone just said, oh, this is just another example of how this country's going to hell in a handbasket or whatever. So for decades, this case has been all over psychology textbooks and it like fully defined the bystander effects. It's been in, you know, countless studies and articles and everything's all about like how, you know, people don't call when they think other people are doing it. But there's actually not that much psychological or scientific proof of that happening, but also because this original New York Times article was riddled with errors in the details. So the article said that there were three attacks, that three times this man came back. There were only two. And they said no one called the cops when two people actually did call the cops. And they said that 38 people just ignored the attack when there were actually, there were actually many, many witnesses, but nobody saw the so at one point, they're saying that there are more witnesses. Like someone says there's actually more like 49 witnesses, but no one saw the attack in its entirety because of the way that it worked with how it started in one place and then moved to another place. Many thought they heard, like, like I said before, lovers fighting, drunks arguing, et cetera. Um, there's a retired assistant district attorney named Charles Scholar who also said that there weren't 38 witnesses. Uh, because when you hear witness, I think you think eyewitness. A lot of them were oral witnesses. Like, they heard orally, like, what happened. Um, they didn't see it. Um, and he, Charles Scholar said, we only found uh, about a half a dozen that saw what was going on that we could actually use. So it's way less dramatic when you say, oh, six people saw some of this murder, and some of them did do stuff. Like, Sophia Farrar went out and and was with her, like, went out and found her. And then, you know, some of the others did call the police. It's just much more sensational to say, oh, 38 people just sat there doing jack shit. So um, there was also a lot of speculation about how people thought it was a couple arguing and that a lot of people are less likely to intervene when they think it's like a marital spat or like a, a couple having a fight. But that actually goes back to what I said, but it's the opposite. Most crimes do happen by people that you know. So if you do hear a couple fighting like that, you're more than likely going to save a woman's life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, husbands kill their wives all the time. It seems like more reason to get involved. Yes, and I think now we know that a lot more. I mean, probably in the 60s, it was like, none of our business, you know? Like, of course, but that's not right. But I think that is, like, a little bit more how things were. Yeah, because like, it was still legal on between to, a man and a woman, you know? Yeah, it was still legal to rape your wife at this. Yeah, probably. Point in history. No, for yeah. sure. 
So um, I watched this documentary, as I said, that was made by Kitty Genovese's brother named William or Bill. Um, It's from 2015. It's on Amazon. And it's just him going through, like, he goes back to the scene of the crime. He tries to track down witnesses. He... Um, He just wants to get more answers about his sister's murder. And I think when this documentary came out is when I started to hear people say, oh, this isn't really, like, this this didn't go down the way people said it did. You know, this wasn't exactly this cold-hearted 38 people completely ignoring a a heinous crime happening under their nose. Um, Charles Scholar, that ADA I mentioned, is in this movie. And he tells Kitty... He's very convinced that a lot of people did nothing and that that some of these people should be blamed for being heartless. Like he says to Kitty's brother, he goes, there was an elevator operator who was sitting in the lobby and saw the entire first attack. Then he just went down to his apartment in the basement and went like went to bed. And um, Carl Ross, who saw the second attack because he lived at the top of the stairs, as I said, went and called his girlfriend who said, don't get involved. And he eventually did call after Mosley was long gone. And Carl Ross's call to the cops is the only call that the cops have logged. But that doesn't mean that no one else called because the cops just maybe didn't write them down. Like, you know, it was like a handwriting system, you know, and and I don't think that cops are perfect. And there were other people that said that they did call. So, um, Scholar thought that enough time had passed between the first and second attack for someone to call the police and that that would have really saved Kitty's life. And in the trial, only five of these 38 witnesses were actually called to testify in the trial. Samuel Koshkin, Robert Moser, Sophie Farrar, and Andre Peak, and Irene Frost. Irene testified that she heard a shriek. And when she went to the window, she saw a man and a woman across the street, but that they were standing there and that maybe the woman was on her knees, but that nothing happened, so she went back to bed. Then the next thing she heard was, please help me, please help me, God, I've been stabbed. And when she went onto the window, Kitty was kneeling on the sidewalk, and he was running away. And then Robert Moser said, I saw a girl at the bookstore with a guy kneeling over her, and he's the one that said, hey, get out of here. And that's what made Mosley run. Andre Peak was a French flight attendant. She heard Robert her neighbor, Robert Moser, scream at this man. And then she saw the man running and Kitty was yelling help and slowly started walking towards the back street. Um, And then she saw the man come back and she heard two more screams of help. I don't think that this woman did anything. Um, Sophie Farrar was her friend who went and found Kitty and um, held her until the ambulance arrived. So that's like more of the story. And when Kitty's brother, essentially what he found from this was that the New York Times kind of just ran with the story about these 38 witnesses because it was sensational. And ultimately no one questioned it because it was the New York Times. So then later around 2016, when Mosley passed away, the New York Times covered it. They covered when Mosley died and they they sort of walked back their reporting and called it quote unquote flawed. And they also say that they exaggerated the number of witnesses. So the New York Times... At the time, the editor of the New York Times was like, absolutely not. Everything we wrote is correct. And now, I think, in hindsight, the New York Times admitted that they sort of caused this whole case to be so infamous when it really didn't happen the way that a lot of people think it did with 38 people just, like, coldly ignoring this. I know, but it's fucked. Like, even the testimony from that woman, Irene, it's like, and then you went back to bed? Yeah. Like... You're disgusting. Yeah. I mean, she was dead when he tried to find her for the for the thing. So they, he was just rereading her testimony from trial and stuff. Like, I think one of the only people that he actually got in touch with was Sophie, the woman who, like, and that was not covered in the press. Like, he grew up not knowing that his sister was with someone when she died, that somebody held her in her arms, like, when she was dying. 
And they grew up just thinking she died alone in a vestibule. And it's like, why would no one have told the family this? Um, so there was just a lot of misinformation and I think a, a desire to sort of paint New York City and people as callous and not paying, like, you know, that's a very, I think, Republican. It's like even that story that we covered in Philadelphia where everyone said that they that rape happened on the subway and everybody watched and didn't do anything. And then it turned out that that was like a fully police-planted story in their media to make it seem like, oh, this city's overrun with crime and only the police can help and no one called them, you know? That's like not what happened at all. So... Yeah, people really have a hard-on on shitting on New York. And it's like, New York doesn't think about you. So I don't <laughs> understand why you've, you're you so compelled to be so mad at city life. Like, go live your hillbilly life wherever you want. Like, no yeah. one, you know what I mean? Um, but, but Kitty seemed like she had, like, a cool life in New York. And it's, like, a really, really sad case that it's a true case of just a guy saw her in her red sports car and was like, cool, I'm going to go kill that woman. And... You it's know, horrible, and yeah. to just be like the puncturing of the lung, it, it's really upsetting me, honestly. Yeah, we talk yeah. about a lot of upsetting stuff, but this is ugh, brutal. Yeah, so anyway, that is the story of Kitty Genovese, and hopefully, a more updated story. But you know, you can, there's a lot of books about this, and you can read a lot about it all over the place. Thank you. We'll have a guest soon, obviously, you guys. So stay tuned. All right, you guys have seen today's guest in so many beloved series, Quantico, Homeland, Good Trouble, just to name a few. And pretty soon you will be able to check out his talk series, AMNTS, or A Mile in Their Shoes. But today you know him as bad teen Ronnie Ellis. Guys our chat with the very talented Jay Mallory McCree. Okay, so what our listeners cannot see right now is that you're wearing a very cool yellow sweatshirt. The color is very cool, <laughs> and it says love and order on it. So very appropriate <laughs> outfit for today's podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. This is oh, really fun. Yes, not a problem. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but here we are. <laughs> Well, speaking of the sweatshirt, we did stalk you a little bit on Instagram, and you are a fashion guy. You're very, you're dressing well. Has that always been a passion of yours? It has. As was Kanye say, it's always been a. I've always had a passion for, passion fashion. for fashion. Even before I had it, I closed my eyes and imagined. So yeah, even when I was a kid, you know, my mom just she always had me sharp, as she would say, you know, in the little suits and. The shoes, I couldn't wear sneakers back then. It was more about wearing stride rights and sandals. And, you know, she always, I always grew up with her saying, like, look, grown men wear this, okay? Like, this is what grown men, I'm like, but I'm five. I don't want to wear it. <laughs> and then you have a little cutie. Do you dress her up? I do. I do. She is my little muse. Yes. Oh, yes. I love it. I, love I can't it. get my daughter to wear anything but stretch pants and t-shirts. So I'm very envious of people whose kids will wear like cool accessories and, um, yes. you know, multi-layered, multi-piece, you know. Well, looks. yeah, because for months I was judging Kara and I was like, why does Rosie keep wearing these Nikes? She needs to change. And then I and then I realized that she was demanding the Nikes. <laughs> Every month. <laughs> only these black Nikes. <laughs> I was like, Kara, let her wear a sandal. Uh, but 
She's opinionated. (laughs) Decision. Um, And then this character that you played for SVU, bad teen, obviously. How were you as a teen? Bad teen, good teen, causing trouble. I the the worst (laughs) part of me as a teen was I just I just had a smart mouth. That was that was like. My biggest issue uh, growing up, I just, I couldn't hold back. If something didn't make sense, I would say it, you know. But I was a pretty good teen. I mean, I grew up in a pretty strict household. My mom was a teacher. My dad's a cop. Um, Like, my mom's side of the family was all educators and healthcare workers. And my dad's side, all cops and and business (laughs) entrepreneurs. So it was like, you can't really do too much. You can't really go wrong, you know, so... Yeah, don't but you step were a out of line. Kid. Were you I a was. theater kid? Though? I was. Okay, very so you much got to do theater. Kid. That's fun. Oh, yeah. Yep. That was my elective for everything. Yeah. I was reading somewhere about you online, like since you were three, you've wanted to do this, right? Yes. It's so bizarre. I, I really do feel like, you know, acting was a, was a God sent gift. You know, um, it's the shortest. I just knew it. Like when I was a kid, I collected movies, not toys. Um, and I, I knew like, when uh, all the different production companies would come up, I knew Orion, I knew United Artists, I could remember Paramount and TriStar. Like anytime <laughs> those like logos and themes would pop up, I just, and I could remember actors' names very easy and I would dress up. I was a whole, my, my family didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> just put him in the church play, okay? Put him in the school play and just give him, put him in all those things, so yeah. Oh my God, I love that. Are there any roles that you look fondly upon in your theater youth days? You know, uh, I got to play Puck from A Midsummer's Night Dream um, in middle school. And that was cool because I was the one, I went to a a Quaker middle school in the middle of Detroit. Cool. I love Quakers. What? I, I went, it's called Friends School. Well, it was called Friends School of Detroit. It's no longer there. But um, I was the one who brought the the theater program to the, to the school. Um, you're like, how did a sixth grader do that? Well, we had a teacher who was there and I always wanted to act. And she, uh, there, this teacher had come from doing theater on Broadway and stuff. And she, I guess, for whatever reason, moved back to Detroit. And I said, well, you know, why don't we, like, start a program or do something? And the school was very much ta- uh, teaching their kids about advocacy. And, you know, so she was like, submit a proposal to the headmaster, and then we'll pick a play, and da 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 And that's, I guess, how I first became a producer. It was my first foray oh into producing. Oh, my God, your first credit. I'm just putting that together. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, and so that's that was the thing, man. And we got to do Midsummer Night's Dream. You know, not like the whole play, but a good first act. And and I just remember that was that was key. That's amazing! Wow, and like memorizing Shakespeare and stuff when you're that young. You know, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sorry. Were you gonna? I bet we we're gonna say the same thing. But your first credit is in the Dick yeah. Wolf universe. Yes, my first professional TV credit is in the Dick Wolf universe, and there's a funny story about that. So I did Law and Order, like the regulars, my first TV credit. And the interesting is when I moved to New York um, after I got out of acting school from Rutgers, Mason Grove School of the Arts, um, I did background work in New York because I wanted to be on set. I just, I wanted to be around. And the very first job I got doing background 
was um, it was called City Island with Andy Garcia and Alan Arkin. Um, and I got oh, to be in a, movie. yeah, I was in a yeah. scene with them. I don't know how that happened. And then I started doing Law and Order. I was back, doing background Law and Order. And then I booked my first thing, Law and Order. And they called me to do background for that episode. And it felt so good to say, sorry, guys, uh, I'm actually a principal on this one. Ooh, um, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yes, and it was it was exciting. It was you know, and it's funny because Anthony Anderson is they have they've re they brought it back now, and that was an interesting experience because Anthony Anderson he 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 is a he's a personality. Let's just say that he um I'll never forget we were doing a scene and he couldn't remember his lines and you know I'm just like I'm repeating my line to kind of help him. I guess I don't know. I'm just like let me just repeat my line and he goes off. He's like, so uh, I tell you, all these Juilliard and, and Yale people think they know everything. The camera ain't even on you. And I was like, mortified. Like, ah. oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, no, I just, I, I, and, and then I went up to him after. I said, look, I'm, I'm not that kind of actor. I just, I was just trying to help you remember your lie. I don't know. And he was like, I was just playing. Stop being so sensitive. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't. I can't. It was like a roller coaster. So welcome. That was my first TV experience. <laughs> um, but then by the time you came back around to SVU, you'd done more. So were you like a little bit more like comfy when you were at SVU? And I was. Like I was. I was. And you know, the thing about SVU is, and I have a crazy story about how I even got that role. Um, oh, yes. Do tell. I actually auditioned for a different role. And I had done a self-tape, auditioned for a completely different role. And um, I was visiting my agent and my manager called me and said, oh, yeah, you booked, the, you booked Law & Order. I was like, oh, great. Amazing. And she was like, yeah, but it's, they actually want you for a different role. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, great. Well, she was like, do you want me to close it up? I was like, yes, SBU. Blah, blah, blah. Learned a valuable life lesson. <laughs> Never agree to take on a role that you haven't read, you know, because lo and behold, I didn't realize I was the villain. Like, <laughs> like oh, I'm the rapist. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. Uh, and I've already agreed to it. I'm on a flight. I'm here. Oh, boy. So. Because I'm assuming that the other part you read for was not. It was not, it was not, the, <laughs> no, it was not the rapist. It, it was, you know, and they're very, they don't give you everything when you're auditioning. Right. And, and so, you know, you're reading like, oh no, I could tackle this character. I like this, da, da, da. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. And so I, I got there and I was like, oh shit. Okay. All right. Well, um, you know, let's, let's do an as if, uh, let's, <laughs> let's go there. Let's, um, <laughs> you know. Let's go there. And and it was fun. And and I, you know, I gotta say I do like playing the villain. I didn't like playing that villain, but it is fun, you know, tapping yeah. into a side of yourself that you normally wouldn't. So well, that's what I think as a viewer made the performances with the three of you guys so not black and white to watch, is because right. you all have these baby faces. Yeah. You all see me young and then you find out about your backgrounds and you all had rough lives and mm -hmm. then it's like the committing the crime. So it's like you are you are this villain, but then it does bring up so many other kind of questions for the viewer. It's not... Absolutely. You feel bad for them still even though they committed this heinous crime. 
Right, right. And and I think that's a testament to all the characters that I try to take on um, that I do accept. Uh, I always want them to have nuance. I always want the characters to be complete uh, figures where you don't, where they're just figures of humanity. You know, they're not right or wrong. They have their circumstances, whether they're justified or not, but they're not just surface black and white kind of characters. I like, I like depth. And if you look at all the roles that I've kind of taken on, there's all of that different sort of nuance and complexity to the characters. If I had to say, what's my brand as an actor, I would say complex. I, I like taking on complex roles that really make you think, you know, that's, yeah. And did the three of you guys get along? Was it cool hanging out oh with other my. young actors? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we got along so well. So Jason, as you guys know, he's blown up now. He, uh, J- Jason Janelle, he and I have the same manager. And so we really got along there. And then Anthony Ram- Ramos and David. I mean, yeah. and here's the funny thing. I didn't even know who they were. You know, we just... <laughs> We just kind of bonded on like some cool, like, yo, it was good, you know, da 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 da. And I had no idea. And they were, they, we all went out to lunch and dinner and stuff and just hung out. And they're like, oh yeah, we got a play tonight. You want to come to the play? And I'm like, sure. But yeah, what's the play? Oh, it's, you know, Hamilton. I'm like, oh, okay, I think I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, completely oblivious. And, and so, yeah, Anthony hooked me up with a pair of tickets to go see. Hamilton, just like the, the hottest show cast. in the world, <laughs> right? Exactly, and I had, and I'm like, I didn't quite understand the magnitude to which how easy it was to get those tickets and to have that experience. And I also knew some other people in the show as well in, in Hamilton, so we got along fantastic. And it was funny because I didn't know who they were, but Mariska did. Oh my gosh, she. I had no idea it was, was a huge Hamil is a huge Hamilton fanatic. Like, just she was just in awe in every you go down the hallway between rehearsals. I'm like, geez, okay, all right, I need to catch up here. Yeah, we've been told that she is a Hamilton head, big time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, big time. <laughs> well, now that you've brought her up, tell us about yeah. Working with Marishka and then all the other cast members, if you have any fun, you know, iced tea stories, Rollins, yeah. Carisi. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was, I had a really good time. Uh, first person, you know, I got to work with, well, introduced to in the makeup trailer was uh, Ice-T, and he's just a personality, you know. Um, and I don't remember, he just was in there cracking jokes. And I just remember, like, I like this guy. You know, I thought, you know, you, you grow up watching somebody and you're like, I feel like I know you. And he just was cracking jokes, you know, and, and made it very easy to just kind of be around. Like, this is, hey, welcome, da 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 And Mariska, that, it, it was a really good time watching her. She really is a boss. I mean, like, obviously she's the actor, you know, on the show, but like, in between takes, you really see that, like, she runs that show. That's her show. Like, the directors, you know, she's got thoughts on the directing. She's got thoughts on this. And because she knows how it works. And and it was very uh, powerful to to witness that, to watch her do her thing and, and you know, kind of pinpoint. And so, you know, we have this scene together. 
And it was good. You know, I really enjoy working off of her, you know, just being moment to moment and really being able to do that theater trained kind of New York style acting where it's real. You know, I live in L.A. now and no disrespect to L.A. and what we do out here. But like New York, the craft is just it's on another level. You know, it's just like you got to bring it and you got to be on and you got to know, like, okay, you in TV, you get you get if you get that close up. You got to bring it like, you know, you get two shots. We're going to do this this two shot over here. You better get that wide very well. And then you better get this close up and then let's go. Yeah. So that's where all that training comes in and, and just feeding off of one another. And I really enjoy working with her in that regard. Yeah. And were you nervous? Were you prepped? <laughs> you know, I, I don't I wasn't nervous. There's a part of me that feels like. I work very hard to remind myself I belong in this room where I am, you know, and even though these are veterans and they're doing, you know, I'm here for a reason. I was hired for a reason. I've done my homework. I've got a job to do. Let's let's do it. You know, like I think there's a there's a an energy like there's like a whoo, OK. All right. Here we go. You know, but but I, I wouldn't say nervous in terms of like, oh, gosh, you know, but like more of a. Let's, all right, it's showtime. Let's do it. Like, yeah. you respect this person. I respect this person. I respect their work. All right, like, and you're going to respect my work too. So let's go. I think there's some people where that that energy, like, turns them, like, gets them going and, like, puts them in hyperdrive. And there's other people that are like, okay, I can do it, but I still feel like I'm going to throw up the whole time, you know? And it sounds <laughs> right. like it's you're a, the yeah. former. Like, it just energizes you and gets you going. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. It's like getting on a roller coaster. You know, you're going, you're like, oh, yeah, but yeah. I'm on the road. I want to take this ride, and I don't, I'm, I don't know where it's going to take me, but let's do it, you know? yeah. I mean, your character in this episode is like very, very confident. It's like confident to the point of like, and such a good liar that I was like, maybe he didn't do it. Like, I, even though like they set up the whole episode where we see these kids walk away with this girl, I go, maybe they just left her there and it's someone else. You know, the show takes weird twists. Right. But like your yep. character was convincing me that. I remember it from the first time I watched it live and was like, wait, this guy's like, a good, like, because you can always tell when a character on Law & Order is lying a little bit, but you did not right. seem like you were lying. Are you a liar, a good liar in real life? I, I'm an actor by trade. Yeah. So I'll, let, I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll, give, I'll let you do with that what you will. Yeah, just in case your <laughs> wife listens to the podcast. We got exactly. it. We got it. <laughs> well, wait, speaking of your wife, though, she's an actor, right, as well? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. yeah she's, she's, she's killing it. She's the star of Snowfall. Yeah. Um, she plays Aunt Louie. They are in season five, and the season finale is in two days. And do they shoot yeah, that in man. L.A.? Yes, they should oh, okay. know. Mm -hmm. So, like, we've we've interviewed a bunch of people from SVU, and a, and a few of them have been married to other actors. And we always like to mm -hmm. ask, like, do you guys do self tapes together? Do you, or oh do you try gosh. to keep it separate so that there's no fighting? And like, how does that? Oh, no, well, that we've we've been we've been together for a long time, <laughs> and we have run the gamut. Um, we do self tapes with each other, and I think we've got it down now where. We have to listen to each other and, and and approach it. We have to do meditation and intentions before we enter that realm <laughs> together. Um, I'm just remembering, I mean, she may be worth having on the show because she also did Law & Order SVU. She, oh yeah, yeah, she did the episode. Do you remember when there were those three girls in real life that were kidnapped and the guy... In uh, Cleveland. It was like a... 
Yeah, exactly. So Law and Order did an episode about that, and she was one of the trap girls. <gasps> we, we talked we to did one it. of the other girls. We talked to—oh, oh, my did, God. What? Yeah, my wife was was the, the one who was like— Pumpkin pie, like she came out all disheveled oh, with the hair. Oh my gosh! Yeah! Wow! Oh yeah! <laughs> Agatha Nowicki, we talked yeah. to. Yeah, that episode's called "Imprisoned Lives." That's crazy that your wife was on it. All right, we got to get her back on it so we can interview. Well, no, because we didn't even know <laughs> to start asking this, but we have friends that are married and do tapes together, and all I heard was that people, all these good couples, just will fight. <laughs> together in the self-tapes and everyone we've talked to. It's never like, oh, yeah, we do it. It's always like, oh, my, yes, we do. (laughs) I don't, I mean, like, it will drive you to, like, madness. You're like, we both respect each other. Why is this happening? I think, I and I think I've kind of whittled it down to why this happens. I think because it's your, when you're working with your partner, you have to be your most vulnerable and, and they know you and you can't you can't hide. You can't you know, they know what you're great at, what you're not. They know your weaknesses and your strengths and you want to impress them and you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to mess up in front of the person who knows you and is the most valuable to you, you know, and uh, but sometimes that happens. And you also don't want to be critiqued by them because there's a very fine line between I, it can really go into like personal territory real quick. And you're like, oh, shit. like. As opposed to someone who is just kind of neutral, you know, like, here we go, and you feel free, like, I can do this, I can try this, I can take a risk. For some reason, you just don't want to take risk anymore in front of your loved (laughs) one because you don't want to get, you don't want to get, like, I don't know, uh, rejected in in a sense, you know, like, I I like that, honey, but I think you can, I think if you try this, because then it's like, oh, shit, (laughs) it's going to a different place, so. Have you worked together before? We have. That's how we got together. That's how we... Yeah, how we, you, how'd you meet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our story is a little crazy. So uh, we're both from Detroit, uh, both born in the same hospital, b- grew up on the same side of Detroit, uh, went to the same high school, have the same mentor. Um, she's just a little older than I am. And so we actually met in New York. We met in New York. Uh, we did a, ended up doing a play together, took us to La Jolla, and then took us back to New York, and we did it at Playwrights Horizons. And we played love interest in the show. I don't know. There, there was just, there was some magic. I don't know what it was, but we had so much in common. And she, I, one thing that I like to do is I'm a thrill seeker. So we get to a new city and I'm like, I'm going to go travel and just do this. And, and she's the star of that, of that particular show. And she's like, I'll come. And that's sort of how it started. Like, she's like, I was like, oh, okay. And then we just started having adventures together. We became friends. And, and, and I think that was the key, like our friendship. And she was such a kind person. My wife is a very kind person. And I, at that point, it was something I needed in my life was kindness. And, and, and I really was like, I want to be friends first. And we just have a fantastic friendship. And then next thing you know, it's like we find we get married. We find out at our wedding, my grandfather dated her aunt at one point. Oh, it my was God. Like, oh, my God. Wait, are we cousins? <laughs> oh, wait. We got to check. We got to check it. Like, what is going on? Oh, my God. But I yeah. love that. That's so cute. I know yep. you probably have friends and family and everything, but I was just in Detroit and I stayed at the Shinola Hotel and it was one of my favorite oh. hotels I've ever stayed at. It was so beautiful and I loved it. Oh, I had a good time in Detroit. that's dope. Yeah. That's dope. 
Good it's food, new. nice it's people. Very new. It's very um, not underrated, but I just I had the best time in Detroit. I was really happy to be there. Yes, we have a good time, and I'm glad it's turning a leaf because I'm so sorry. I'm so tired of people being like, "Oh, you're from Detroit? Oh, I'm sorry." Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't people. I don't think people really understand the magnitude of Detroit. I mean, we are you. You kind. It's one of those cities where you kind of have to be there. And yes, we get a lot of bad press and stuff. The media has made Detroit out to be a certain type of thing. But I had a beautiful childhood growing up in Detroit. I mean, I've experienced culture, was introduced to so much culture and art and, you know, I mean, yes, I feel like those things exist in every space, you know, but Detroit is a very cultural city. I'm very proud of my city. Yeah. Detroit versus everybody, baby. <laughs> Can I ask you about some of your other non-SVU stuff that, you, that yeah, you've done? Like, absolutely. Um, I knew you immediately when I saw you as, as your character from Homeland, mm-hmm. which was like a... Really tough arc that happened. I think, you know, justice for Sekouba. But um, how was working on that show? Look, it was a dream. I mean, I I already was a fan of the show. Like, a huge fan of the show. Um, And Carrie, Lord have mercy, that character drove me crazy through every season. (laughs) And then... Then you're on the show and and you're in the table read. And it's one of those moments, like I was just saying about working with Mariska and the rest of the crew was, it's, it's like, it's a dream because that's the kind of acting, it's the kind of acting I've always wanted to do. It's the, you know, and you're at the table with these behemoths, you know, F. Murray Abraham, um, Mandy Patinkin, and uh, Claire Danes. And you're just like, I got to bring it. Like, I'm here. And then, yeah. and Claire is an amazing person to work with. And you want to talk about a boss. She is in every scene and literally comes, doesn't look at a script. You're like, when did you learn? Like, you, you never see her like looking at her sides. Like, let me go. No, she comes fully prepared, ready. And in between takes, she's the nicest person. Like, she's like showing us pictures of her kid and just talking regular stuff, asking us questions. Like, she's a real human being. And then... All right, action, bam. And you got, you're like, yes! And it makes you want to <laughs> elevate your, yourself, your performance. And you're like, I know I'm new on the scene, but this is something I've always wanted. And, and, and again, it's that thing of you have to tell yourself, I deserve to be in this room right now. I deserve to be here. And I deserve to tell the story. And we got to bring it. And, we, and, and furthermore, this character, we have to do justice to this character because he is a voice, you know, for so many and, yeah. and I took that seriously. And, you know, I did tons of research because I'm not Muslim. And, and I really wanted to understand the justification on both sides. And, and what's great about Homeland is no one's wrong. Like, everyone has a justified point of view, you know. Yeah. And there's no wrong. There's no right. There's just this is what it is. And it exists. And so it was, uh, it was, a, it was a very proud moment of my career, you know, to be on that show and to work at that caliber. Yeah. I was always, like, blown away with how that show would, like, predict things that would happen. I mean, like, they were doing storylines about, like, internet interfere, like, in, like yeah. you know, um, Twitter farms and stuff like that, like, before we were even talking about that. It's just, like, crazy. Yeah, they go on these, they go on these massive retreats every year where they just, and, and they've got, you know, they've got um, consultants, you know, in, in the government and stuff that work with them. Yeah. And they do these retreats with them. And so, you know, they're getting this 
intel and stuff like that. But it's it's great because it's their dedication to to that work and telling the truth, you know, or yeah. telling all sides of the truth, you know. Totally. I do have a couple more SVU moments, both uh, physical things. Mm -hmm. So one, you had to run through the streets and we are so curious, like (laughs) how many takes, how hard do you run? Like, how does that happen? And then you also had to carry um, the actress who played Libby. And so I was wondering the heaviness, how you guys do it. Is it a real like, yeah. So just those physical elements of the running and the carrying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the running is real. You better <laughs> yeah, be in shape. like whenever like I running. see Mariska like chasing down a perp for like six city blocks, I'm like, how many times did they make her do that? Yep. I'm having an asthma attack, like watching it. You know? No, that's that's real. That <laughs> running was real. I man, it's yeah. I remember, you know, they plot out the the course that you're gonna take. And, you know, you sort of do a rehearsal, like, you know, okay, we're going to do it at 25%. All right, now let's pick it up a little bit. And then, because you also, it, you know, it's it's rehearsal with the camera, too. It's a choreography, in a sense, right? Um, but and you also got to get the takes from this angle and this angle and this angle. So, like, yeah, you better <laughs> you better be in some kind of shape because it's real. You, you got to run. And, and then, yeah, picking up Libby... Um, I remember, I don't think I did it by myself, but... No, it was all three of you guys. You were all like kind of... it was all three of us, but I do know that she is not fully distributing all of her weight. You know, I think there's a... Yeah, from what I remember, there's just a... She's helping us out as well. Yeah. You know, we just need to know all the ins and outs of how heavy our bodies, you know, what's going on. How much are you dragging a person? If it were me, like, I would just be like, okay, guys, like, trust fall. And, like, I'd be like, drag me, you know? But (laughs) sounds like she's a giving actor. (laughs) Yeah, she she wasn't method in that moment. Or we weren't method in that moment. We were like, please just help us out. (laughs) Um. Can you tell us about some upcoming projects or anything coming out that you'd like to share with our listeners? So I've got this amazing project called AMNTS. It stands for La Mile in These Shoes. And it's uh, it's sort of like Comedians in Cars meets the complex sneaker shopping show, but with the real-life essence of Humans of New York. Uh, so basically, the way it works is I love shoes. And I'm sure you guys have seen my posts about shoes and not just, I'm not a sneakerhead in the in the traditional sense. I just I travel the world and I collect shoes that are interesting to me from everywhere. But more than just shoes, I love people and their stories about what they do in shoes. And so I created a show where I use shoes as the thing that brings us to the table and we have conversations about them, but we go into a more in-depth look at what it's like to walk a mile in somebody's shoes. And we've got guests from entertainers, we've got uh, first responders, we've got ex-pro skaters, uh, you name it. We've got people from all walks of life uh, on the show in this first season, and it's incredible. And so like Jerry Seinfeld, I always uh, wear a pair of shoes that reminds me of that person's essence when I show up. And then we kind of, we talk about my shoes, their shoes, and then we're like, okay, so what, tell me, where did you, how did it start? You know, where'd you come from? Why is this environment that this particular environment we're in? Why is that important to you? And then we always do an activity. You know, we always do something that you may not even know about, you know, this person. Um, for instance, my, my friend who was the first responder, he was on the, the team, uh, here in LA trying to figure out, uh, he was on the pharmaceutical team trying to figure out 
uh, early remedy for COVID, right? And one of the things he loves to do is jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. So in the episode, we go and like we're in the dojo and he's showing me moves and stuff like that. And so, you know, I really, the reason I created the show is because I, I, I really do believe that we can come together if we just have something that we all like kind of connect to that can bring us to the table and we can and then have that as the opening space to really see what it's like to 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 be in someone else's life for a second and to take that in. And so I wanted to create something that was impactful and not just talk about, oh, yeah, these are my shoes. Like, I don't care about that. I care about utilizing something to to really connect us and to have an overall impact and to change our lives for the better. So that's that's what that show is. It's going to drop. Uh, I think we've decided at the end of June um, It's going to be on YouTube and through our website, amnts.us. And yeah, we'll be that's 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 the move right there. That's what's happening. Oh, awesome. I hope our listeners check it out. I'm sure they will. Well, and I also do see you back on SVU, and I'd like you to be a defense attorney. Like, I do see you as um, a really um, good at your job. Yeah. I don't know if you have any other SVU fantasies, but that's what I Shutting people down in the courtroom. Yeah. (laughs) I can see it. Come on. Come on. I will take that. Come on, (laughs) listeners and viewers. Let's ride the wolf. Let's all... Let's get it. Yeah, let's get it happening. (laughs) Um, Wait, I wanted to ask you one more thing about your little one. What would... Would you be okay if she started this career, this life? Because, I mean, she's got two parents that are actors, so the DNA and the chances are high. Look, this girl already, it's, she's already have a, had a discovered moment. The uh-huh. other day we're at this restaurant and my wife, everyone's recognizing her from the show, right? And then this woman comes up and says, oh my God, your daughter is so cute. Is, is she a model? Does she do modeling? And we're like, no, not yet, but we're open to it. Okay, I want you to take my card. Um, I am the creative director of Russell Westbrook's brand, Honor the Gift. I would love to have her in a campaign. Yay! I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> look at my ladies. Like, I just, I'm sitting back, like, I'm a proud husband, proud dad. Like, <laughs> look at my family, you know. So, we, we, we are, oh, we've had discussions. She's very much into it. She's very, uh, very smart and vocal child. She's like, Mommy, I want to audition. Can I audition, Daddy? It's my turn to audition, yeah. you know, and I've done, I was doing like a thing for my, my, uh, my, the show. And she's like, daddy, I want to do a show. Can I do a show? Let's do it. I said, well, what's your show going to be about? Well, it's going to be about my friends, my animals and my friends. I said, <laughs> we're going to make that. Let's, let's do it. Like she has that thing. She's very personable. Like, we were taking pictures yesterday though, uh, of her on Easter. And, and I was like, all right, can you do right here, right here, baby. Okay. All right, daddy, I'm done. <laughs> you got the shot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard out for the talent. <laughs> she had a hard out. Hard out. I was like, okay, I guess I got it. <laughs> wow. He it was so cool. I what a life he has. He's married to another actor. They've got a cute little kid. He's got 90 million projects going on living life to the fullest. Yeah, and, you know, we do get a window into people's lives and the background of the house looked nice. Yeah. It was a nice space. Yep. It was design forward. It was He's nice. He's wearing a crisp sweatshirt, the Love & Order sweatshirt. I loved it. And, yeah. uh Oh, yeah. you know, Karen and I recently had a nice thing. Our friend has become very successful recently. <laughs> it was her birthday. 
And how nice of a time did we have having someone shuck fresh oysters in their backyard? I mean, that's a, we've reached a new level via our friend. Yeah. That is well, nice. Well, as I've always said in my stand-up, I am not rich, but I do love to be rich adjacent. You know what I yes. mean? I love to be next door to people that are rich and um, that's fun for me. The, the husband of our friend, who is also our friend, just asked me seven times, do you eat oysters? Because I kept saying no. And, was, and he was like, do, do you eat oysters? I was like, I, I actually don't, but I do appreciate the ambiance. And I went and I introduced myself to the oyster guy because he was so nice and it looked like such a cool setup. I was like, wow, I just like watching you shuck them. You know, like it was very cool. And, you know, a nice bar setup. I loved that. I was like, I, you should have seen, before you got there, I was just asking the guy, I'm like, what do you think? Something fruity with vodka? Like, you know, I you never take the time to do shit like that at bars. I don't really because they're busy. But when it's like at a party, I'm like, let's have some fun. Tell me what you think, you know? So I was having a blast at the bar. But anyway, a little off topic. What do we, what do we think about 41 Witnesses? Kind of a depressing well, postmortem. I'm going to because... go off topic again. Oh. Bingo. That was an amazing <laughs> bingo card. Thank yes. you so much. I hope, um, you know, Kara Tagged who made it. I'm sorry it's um, eluding me right now, but I hope I you saw all the I think her name was Katie attention. with a D, but like I did tag her. And in case you don't follow our Instagram or you're like, what are they talking about? Somebody did make a, a TMU bingo card for our Instagram and it's very cute and funny. And you guys have in the comments been adding all very funny additions, like a very... Stuff that I think is like, oh, wow, I totally didn't even realize that we say that or do that. And so you're all very observant. So observant. My favorite is there's a, there's two squares for me. One is like when Lisa talks about hating Rollins. And then the other one was when Lisa realizes she doesn't hate Rollins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in this episode alone, I flip-flop on Rollins multiple times. <laughs> so if you were playing the bingo as a drinking game for this episode alone... You might be drunk. Oh yeah, the drink, the bingo as a drinking game is scary because we do um, have our, we do have our habits. Yeah, uh, I didn't know you guys are like so on it because we <laughs> do listen to all of our episodes before they go on. But I don't, I yeah, yeah. Like, like one of them was like whenever Lisa starts the episode with "All right," and I was like, I do that too. Like every episode that I listen to that Annalise sends us to, like you know, kind of quality control or like check. I, it starts out like, all right, season three, like whatever. It that actually always, is you on the, yeah, on the bingo it's square. Me, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. it's me on the bingo square? Yeah. But I was listening to 41 Witnesses and it's Lisa. She does it. <laughs> so we both are doing it, but I do it a lot too. That's why I was trying to think of new ways to start. Like, well, 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 here we are. Like, trying to think of new ways to get into the episode. And but, there was an actor from Sex and the City. I don't know. It's just like, Meeting you guys and all the comments, it is like cool. Yeah. You're really thoughtful in the way we you listen you to the show. It's we really... love you guys. Yeah. I love meeting the people at the live shows too. It's so fun. Also, and I don't know. I don't know if my friend Caitlin's a regular listener or random. I know she sometimes listens, but I ran into Caitlin at a restaurant in LA yesterday and nothing makes me feel more Hollywood. Or I love running <laughs> into people in New York too. I just like running into people in the public. And so shout out if um Yes, well, we ran into yeah. listeners at our hotel in Tempe, and we were like, oh, look at us just off the plane running into <laughs> listeners. Yeah, <laughs> at the pool, bitch. Um, <laughs> but postmortem, what have we learned? Um, get over yourself and your flaws. Stop it and do the right thing. Help your Help friend. People. Help your friend. Help your friend. Well, not even everyone, but Dr. Bradley Mego. Are you fucking yeah, kidding me? That's Dr. one of Bradley your Bradley Mego. Don't bring flowers. Why don't you, you tell the cops oath. what you saw? You took an oath, Dr. Bradley Mego. <laughs> 
<laughs> first do no harm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I do think some people are fight or flight when it comes to helping with those kind of things. Like I've seen it in action before where like I go right up to something and like my sister will be down the block, you know, like, so I understand that's not everybody's comfort zone, but like I did understand, I kind of felt for Carisi's like frustration with the everybody filming thing. Like everybody just films now all the time instead of doing anything. And it's like, but at the same time, the filming has helped, like, put cops, bad cops in jail. You know what I mean? Like, thank God we have the filming. So, I don't know. I, I It's it's a double-edged but sword, I guess. you can't do anything. Like, you can't go fight a cop as they're right. doing something, right? right? Like, right. you know, so that makes sense. But I'm actually disgusted by most of the filming and posting that happens online, no matter how, like, warm-hearted and sweet it is. It's like, fuck you for putting these delivery guys. Like, would you do all these nice things for your delivery drivers if it wasn't for the ring camera? Why are you putting a camera in someone's face as you buy them food? Like, it kind of sickens me. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it when people do me. nice things and then they just, like, post it for a viral moment, it's like, yeah, it can be. I know sometimes it's inspiring, but overall, it's just, like, the tape, it does really, like, gross me out how yeah. trigger-happy we are to tape shit. Yeah, but it's all, but I also find like the whole Kitty Genovese um, case to be really interesting that like, this is like cultural lore we have in our country now, basically, and in our sociology textbooks that in a way was just completely put out there by shoddy New York Times reporting, you know? So it's just interesting. The You know, I, I will say, I don't know how people feel about him, but Malcolm Gladwell does have a very interesting podcast called Revisionist History that I've really enjoyed where it's like, oh, this is how we think this thing went down. But when he like takes you through it, you're like, oh, it's a little bit Adam ruins everything too. It's just like things are not always the way you seem. Yeah, they seem, you know? So... Yeah, and just scary how random shit is. Like, wa- yeah. like you can't walk 100 feet without someone deciding to fucking stab you. It is horrific. Yeah, because I always felt so safe in New York because I was always like, people are always around. Like, I, th- I always felt I'm very hardly, first of all, the alleys in New York don't exist when people <laughs> talk about alleys. Like, I mean, you know, like, you're barely ever walking down an alley at night alone. Like, I'm, I was usually, yeah, coming from the subway, but like, there's lights, lit, like, lit streets, and people, like, are right in their living rooms. Like, I guess I always felt, oh, people are right there, and that's, maybe that's how she felt, too, and then it just wasn't, it was a really bad outcome, but, you know, yeah, help the people. Don't do K in the yeah. coffee shop. Not yes. in the coffee shop. Get yourself home. Get yourself home before you do yeah, that do little K at before home. you fall deeply into a K hole. Um, Speaking <laughs> of K holes, the Fire Island oh, trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best segues of all time. <laughs> Speaking of K holes, our friends' movie. Um, the trailer for Fire Island has dropped. It does look hilarious. I cannot wait to watch it. It looks. It looks gorgeous. Like so fil- beautiful. Like, it looks. Listen, it's a real movie. It's like, oh my God. I have God. spent my entire life wanting to go to Fire Island. I have always wanted to go. This movie's doing nothing to help that. It's exacerbating my desires even more. Like, it looks so awesome. It looks so beautiful. And like, yeah, what an... Ex- it looks... I think they're trying to create it like this very special place. And you can already tell by the trailer that they're doing that. So... Um, yeah, I'm getting chills thinking about it. And former guest Margaret Cho is in it. She's in the yes. trailer. So yes. I can't wait for Fire Island. I've been shameless. I was like, Joel, I better get an invite to this premiere. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Like, I want to party at this fucking premiere. So I hope that works out for me. <laughs> 
I would love to be your plus know. one. Yes. <laughs> I will Just make kidding. I'm sure you have other people. Um, well, I mean, why would... No. I mean, we had fun. <laughs> we had fucking fun in Tempe. We woke up extra early and had, like, breakfast at the pool. We make it work. Yeah. We we tried to go to the pool late night, and eventually a worker came up and was like, we're closed. And we were like, we know. Like, we definitely know that you're closed. We have been sitting here smoking a joint for 45 minutes, so thank you for letting us have that time. But we'll go to bed now. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm cutting way back on weed. I'm trying to find a balance. I don't want, you know, so it's like... It's too strong of a word to say quit because I like yeah. an after night once a week, you know, so I'm working on it. But yesterday I um, had a joint and someone goes, my friend Frank, he was like, I thought you quit. And I quoted Casey Musgraves and I was just like, healing doesn't happen in a straight line, Frank. <laughs> Give me a moment. <laughs> oh my God, I love I'm that. trying. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, like everything in moderation, like the quit word makes everybody, and then everybody feels like they have to hold you accountable. Like, oh, you're helping by going up to a person that said they were quitting something. You know, like that is yeah. so funny though. Oh my God. Oh, Casey, the, Dr. Casey Musgraves, our therapist. <laughs> I just watched her architectural digest and she is usually with those videos and the like photo shoots of really nice homes like that. It's like, even selling stuff, it's bare. There's no memories. It's like a vase in the side. And Casey Musgraves was one of the first kind of homes where it's like, oh, I have these knickknacks I love. And I love yes. this photograph. And like, you know, it's just like things that make a home a home. Yeah, I didn't even watch it. Of course, I, I, I haven't watched it, but I saw on her Instagram some of the stills from it. And, and like, what, she had this like huge bust and it was like, this is from a curio shop in like Nashville, like someplace that she just like found when she was on the road. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, I bet she has a cool style and a cool house. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. No matter how much I quit weed, if I run into Casey Musgraves, I'll hopefully smoke with her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't really know how to move from uh, the inspirations of Casey Musgraves into our What Would Sister Peg Do segment, but I'm just going to do it now. Um, <laughs> what Would Sister Peg Do, you guys know, is our weekly segment where we give you guys a resource, a link, uh, a charity organization, or just an, like an organization that's doing work in a certain area to shed light on what we talked about in today's episode. And today, I really just wanted to talk about the documentary that I mentioned in today's episode. I wanted to shout out the documentary called The Witness. In 2016, it was on all of these top 10 documentary lists. And I really liked it. I thought that it really gave a good picture of Kitty herself as a person and not just this figurehead for bystander effect that we've turned her into. And she was just a really, seems like a really cool, progressive, badass woman who happened to have a horrible crime committed against her. And, you know, her brother is like in a wheelchair. He's missing his legs and he's just like, just trying to get answers about his sister. And it's really inspiring. So, um, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime for free. I believe you might be able to buy it in other places, but it's for free on Amazon Prime. So that also will be linked and shouted out in our What Would Sister Peg Do uh, highlight on Instagram, which is labeled WWSPD. And I obviously want to watch The Witness and also the fucking Gacy tapes came out. It's like... There's so much. They're giving us a lot. Netflix is keeping us on our toes with the murder docs. Well, and um, also the latest episode of SVU, the the guilty guy in the end is like, well, hopefully Dateline or Netflix does a show about yes. me. Yeah, that was fucked. I just finished that. That was a little burn on all of us. Yeah. 
All right. And next week, oh, great, a a burn episode. So that was (laughs) an accidental tie-in, but we will be... Covering next week, Making a Rapist, Season 18, Episode 2. Um, join us on Watching This Nightmare on Hulu, Peacock, and anywhere you get your SVU. And thanks for being amazing. We're so lucky. Yeah, and keep messaging us and emailing us and stuff. We love to hear from you guys. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondry Plus in the Wondry app. Dun-dun! Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.